This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy. We look at the morning papers now. Thunder and rain set to put a damper on the weekend. Liam De Bruyne reporting in the mail today. Kind of what I just said there. Soak up that heat like there's no tomorrow. Because Met Aaron is forecasting the glorious 23 degrees. That's in the east and south uh, today. We've been enjoying of late. is coming to an end with thundery conditions. And yes, rain with it. Very, very distinctly on the horizon. By tomorrow, the cold front will have moved in. Heavy showers will arrive, which will extend into the weekend. And a Met Aaron spokesman said temperatures will move uh, much lower for Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday night could be cold, but that low system uncertainty means the exact details are unclear yet. It's all Harry Styles this morning, all over the newspapers, not just the dip he took in uh, the Vico Bats. Is it Vigo or Vico? Uh, Vico Road in Dorky, uh, where Bono lives, actually. And uh, doesn't um, that songstress live there as well? Uh, Enya. Uh, she lives, I think, in the gate opposite Bono. But uh, there's a little dip there. You can dip in the Irish Sea. And uh, Harry Styles caused a splash as he took a dip in the sea. And then the following evening, uh, wowed 65,000 people at Dublin's Aviva Stadium. The watermelon sugar hitmaker, who's just 28, was spotted the previous evening at the Vico Bats in Kalini. Vico or Vico, I don't know. Uh, in a moment reminiscent of the actor Matt Damon, Harry arrived with a plastic bag. His was Tower Records. If you remember, Matt Damon's was Super Value. And what branding that was for Super Value. And uh, tattooed Harry, he's got lots of tattoos actually, was seen sporting a pair of black and white striped swimming shorts as he dived into the Irish Sea. Uh, the Echoes front page is Bonfires a Real Threat. Plastic surgeon gives stark warning. A consultant plastic surgeon has described uh, horrific experiences treating toddlers who have fallen into bonfires as many Cork frontline workers prepare for one of the bu- their busiest nights of the year. Consultant plastic surgeon at the Bon Secours Hospital, Anne McKenna, said that every year she sees children aged between 18 months and three years old who are seriously injured on bonfire night and urged caution ahead of tonight's celebrations. So uh, be careful. Uh, firefighters say their only priority is to keep people safe. Sarah Horgan's story continuing from page one in the Echo. We've seen people who've become pinned by burning pallets that have fallen on them. The severity of the burn depends on the length of time you're in contact with the heat and the part of the bonfire it occurs. Here they are stamping out uh, peat anyway. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of the emissions into the air. Uh, I'm surprised that bonfires aren't banned. I know it's a long-standing tradition, but uh, certainly not good for the environment. Uh, but immediate cooling is the only thing that can reduce the burn. Anything that happens in hospital is merely to manage the pain, dressings or surgeries. So be careful if you are lighting a bonfire tonight. Make sure it's supervised. Uh, make sure there's enough, um, maybe a medical kit or something alongside. Uh, the Echo also has man jailed for nasty and brutal assault. Liam Halen reporting that injuries were inflicted on a woman in Middleton on New Year's Eve by a man wearing a sovereign ring who punched her repeatedly in the face and broke a bottle over her head, a court has heard. Judge Sarah Berkeley jailed Limerick man Raymond Constable for two and a half years for the offence of assault causing harm. The Mirror has murdered Jennifer's brother, uh, Bax Register, to help save others from the same ordeal. Murder victim Jennifer Poole's brother Jason has called for new laws allowing Gardy to disclose someone's history of domestic violence. He said it hopes it would mean other families don't have to go through what we are going through. Mum of two, Jennifer, who's 24, was 24, was fatally assaulted by her violent partner Gavin Murphy at her home in Melville Drive in Dublin's Finglas 
on April 17th last year. Uh, Donnelly to address ED bed crisis. Uh, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly met with senior officials from his own department and from the HSE yesterday to discuss immediate responses to the pressures currently being faced by the 29 emergency departments, EDs, across the country. Currently, it's ongoing and it's been like this for 30 years. The meeting came as figures from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, the INMO, show that 477 admitted patients were waiting for beds at hospitals nationwide yesterday morning. 57 admitted patients were waiting for beds at the ED in the CUH here in Cork, which is the highest figure for any ED in the country. The trolleys are lining the halls and uh, it's just at bursting point. But elsewhere in Cork, 16 admitted patients were waiting for beds at the Mercy University Hospital's MUH-ED, while there were six patients waiting for beds on wards at Bantry General Hospital. Couple found dead sent letter to local woman, uh, Neil Michael reporting in uh, today's Examiner that the English couple found dead in their temporary home wrote to a local resident and specifically said they were leaving the area. Gardier understood to have seen a letter written by either Nicholas Smith, who was 81, or his wife Hilary, who was 79, in which one of them says another English couple are coming to stay at the house. The letter also urged the woman uh, they wrote to not to worry if she saw strangers at the house. The letter, which uh, the Irish examiner understands, was sent to a woman who the couple was friendly with after she called to the house following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's an intriguing and sad and uh, in some ways tragic uh, case here. Um, one, uh, one of the couple put the letter through the woman's letterbox. And that, I suppose, served to allay fears that uh, anything untoward was going on in the house. Certainly that uh, there was two dead people in the house because they had written to someone they knew and trusted and were friends with. Uh, that they were going away. Uh, majority fear no solution to cost soaring is the stark headline on the front of the mail today. Shocking poll finds just 9% have faith that the coalition can tackle the inflation crisis. Four out of five people believe the government will fail to fix the soaring cost of living in the budget this year. An Amoric Irish Daily Mail survey has shown. It comes as the paper revealed that Taoiseach Micheál Martin's mission to seek a special VAT derogation to reduce the price of fuel has been ruled out by the European Commission. It's a fresh blow to the government, uh, but it will not come as a surprise to the vast majority of the public who, when asked if they were confident the coalition could alleviate rapidly rising prices in the mail survey, 80% of them said no, just 9% had faith in the government's ability to help, while 11% said They were not sure. And here are the uh, thoughts from that survey. Have you considered switching to public transport because of the rising cost of fuel for your car? 29% said yes. 58% said no. And 13% said, I don't have a car. Do you support the proposal to abolish motor tax for car owners to ease the cost of living? Uh, 74% said yes. No uh, was 15%. And don't know was 12%. That's an immediate way that you could alleviate uh, motoring costs. I know it would be seen to be unfair for those who have paid out in advance for a year, uh, a year's tax, but maybe they could do it for three or six months' time to say, we're going to give a 20, 30, 40, even 50% reduction in car tax. Remember Fianna Fáil said, vote for us back in 1992, and we'll abolish car tax. Uh, Remember Enda Kenny said, uh, taxing a person's home is immoral. Uh, but they go back on their word all the time, the politicians, okay, as they sway with whatever wind is blowing. Are you confident the government can alleviate the rising cost of living in the budget? Yes, said only 9%. 
No said 80% and don't know said 11%. It makes for some very interesting reading uh, in this morning's mail. And you can check it out from the front page. The Examiner, just one in seven people are renting out of choice. Just one in seven people renting are doing so out of choice. And people in their 40s, 50s and 60s are increasingly limited to live in house shares with other people, according to a new report. Threshold, the housing charity, said more than half of the people they surveyed expect to have their own home by 2027 with tenancy insecurity being the single biggest reason behind the desire to exit the rental market. The report, We Are Generation Rent, comes as Housing Minister Dara O'Brien said there was a scourge of vacant sites across the country that could be used for housing. 14% are renting by choice, 54% expect to be still renting in 2027, 28% only expect they will have their own home, and 64% are renting because they cannot buy a home. Uh, according to the examiner this morning. Visitors quoted, um, I saw this three or four days ago, actually. Uh, visitors quoted 50,000 euros, actually 51,000 euros for car hire. Uh, that's more than for a helicopter. It's actually more than the car they were trying to rent cost uh, by about 6,000 euros. So you could have bought it, insured it, dro- driven it around for a week and probably got uh, 40 grand back for it. A family from New York were quoted almost 50,000 euros to rent a van for a nine-day summer holiday in Ireland. Former Leitrim councillor John McCartan said his brother-in-law was quoted $51,353 by Expedia for a nine-seater van and joked they would have been cheaper hiring a helicopter. Car hire prices have rocketed in the wake of the pandemic when many firms were forced to sell off their fleets due to a lack of tourists. Mr McCartan called the price an embarrassment, pointing out you could buy the same vehicle for around €45,000. He told the Irish Daily... uh, a male that uh, obviously he'd never consider paying such an exorbitant rate. Uh, it was a feeling of bemusement and outrage. I googled to see how much it would cost to get the use of a helicopter, and I discovered for that around two for around two hundred kilometres, it would be in the region of three thousand five hundred euros a day, and that would have come with a pilot and fuel. <laughs> the Ireland we live in: staff quitting childcare jobs for better pay. In McDonald's, says the mail. Uh, this is a very interesting story. If you value me as a child, you should value those who care and nurture me, uh, what I experience uh, now uh, and forever. So uh, says a little sign held up by a protester yesterday because childcare providers say staff are leaving to find better paid jobs with Lidl and McDonald's despite uh, many being university educated and such is their frustration. Representatives from early childhood care and education and daycare services joined a demonstration at Leinster House yesterday to protest new core funding proposals which would cap their fees at last year's rate of inflation of 2.2%. But we're likely to have inflation of 7, 8 or 9% this year when it all plays out. Elaine Dunn, the president of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers, which organised the demonstration, said businesses will go bust if they have to cap their fees. Protesters spoke of how their employees are able to get better wages in supermarkets and fast food chains despite many being university educated. That protest took place yesterday. Over to the Irish Times, who says top judges and doctors' wages will rise next week by over €20,000 a year. The recession-era cuts are reversed after the government receives legal advice. Micheál Martin on Taoiseach has said it's the law and there's nothing we can do about it. Supreme Court judges will see wage packets rise by 21147 to a mere 257000 
872. Top judges and doctors' wages will rise by more than 20 grand annually next month after recession era cuts are reversed. Uh, meanwhile, at the maximum pay point of the pay scale, the best paid public consultants will have their wages climb 22,972 to their restored level of 252,150. Some people are trying to live uh, on that very increase itself. The government examined whether it was legally possible to stall the increases. But advice from the Attorney General precluded them from introducing legislation to prevent the restoration uh, going ahead. Europe styming Michal Martin's efforts to uh, uh, get uh, a deal done on VAT to reduce fuel prices. Attorney General styming their efforts to uh, delay or stall these pay restorations. The timing is not great, the optics are not great, but apparently, legally, they have to do it. Often your hands are tied, I guess. Uh, there is a uh, mirror front page story uh, about uh, boy B subjected to manipulation. Uh, victim's dad is being buried today. One of the teenagers convicted of murdering schoolgirl Anna Kregel began his bid for freedom yesterday. The Court of Appeal heard Boy B was subjected to manipulation and pressure from Gardaí, but the DPP's barrister, Brendan Green, senior counsel, said he stands 100% behind the conduct of the detectives following the murder in 2018. A couple more before we get to the phone lines of kicking the teeth for taxpayers. Uh, a soul trap woman flies to Turkey. Legal aid for a woman who flew to Turkey uh, while facing an assault charge here should be revoked, a Fine Gael senator has said. Teresa Dinnigan, 35 years of age, of 18, Greenord Longford, is due back from Izmir after her bail terms were temporarily relaxed so she can have cosmetic work done on her teeth. Miss Dinnigan, together with two co-accused, is charged with carrying out an assault in a feud-related incident on another woman inside Penny's in Longford Shopping Centre on March 16th. And off to Turkey she went uh, to get her teeth done. And uh, the call now is for her legal aid uh, to be revoked. And that call coming from Fine Gael. It's 22 minutes past nine now. Good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. And we'll come back to more stories from the morning papers uh, a little later on. If you want to get in touch with the program, it's 0818 104 106. And if you want to text or WhatsApp, it's 0868 104 106. Uh, the weather outlook is not too good. Uh, as we have been mentioning, it's going to be mostly cloudy, uh, with patches of rain spreading northwards across the country. Uh, and okay, to our phone lines we go. And uh, on our WhatsApp phone line, uh, let's go right now. And uh, good morning. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Akko, is it, do, I, do I have the pronunciation Hello, correct? Yes. Okay, Akko. Yes, Neil, yes. How are you? Good morning. Uh, very good. It's Mick, actually, but don't worry. My name okay. is Mick. Okay. Okay. Now, a family yeah. from Ireland... How are you? How? Yeah. A family from Ireland, yeah. parents and two children, uh, abandoned apparently by Qatar Airways in London's Heathrow. Tell me the story. Yeah, yeah. I was with Anne Mary trying to book the ticket for Suleimani and north of Iraq. So we checked the Qatar airline from Cork to Qatar, Qatar to north of Iraq, Suleimania, we check it. You do not need any vaccination proof, any PCR test, because you are not going outside the country. Mm-hmm. You're transiting the airport. So after that, we run their main office in Qatar, just to be sure 
before we buy the ticket. They say you should not have a problem, you will be okay with it. So we bought it with Anne-Marie, and it is three and a half thousand we paid. We flew from Cork to Heathrow, so there was no problem, there was no check transiting in Heathrow as well, from to Floyd to Qatar, they didn't let us. And I told them all the proof. I take pictures from their own website, from the British, from North of Iraq as well. I show them all the documents. They say, no, you cannot buy. The best option you have rebooked tomorrow morning and do the PCR test. So I rebook it for the next, it's more than time, five minutes past three. I paid 500 pounds over there in his terminal four. Then following morning, they sent us for Terminal 5 to do the PCR test. So we went there, we did the uh, PCR test, uh, which is I pay another 420 pounds as well. The result only after four hours come back, only the result has come back for two of us. For myself, Akko, the result is didn't come back and there's no telephone number to call them. So I went back to information this guy and I explained. From there, they called Suleimania for the Suleimani answer them, they say it is not necessary. It's okay even without any vaccination, even without any PCR test, because here we will provide it on the customer's cost, which is fifty dollar. So they let us to go. So from okay, there, let, 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 let's get back to the start the here. Plane, and let's the plane was. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. I'll let you continue in a moment, but I just want to get back to the start. The reason for this trip which was your first in seven years, yes. was that you had a family member who was gravely ill uh, and you were trying to get that, to see that yes. family member. So it you complied, problem. it seems like you complied with yes. all the rules confirmed with, which I think, yes. as a Qatar customer service team. You travelled from Cork to London Cork. with their lingus, yeah. they checked all your documents and issued your boarding yes. passes, not just for the Everything initial flight, fine. but for your onward journey and for your return yes. flight. So you're, you very obviously felt you were clear to go. Yes. Yes, they gave me all the tickets until Soleimani. Everything was fine, no problem. All the documents required. They are very uh, friendly, uh, very respectful, very happy with them. But when we get to Heathrow, the next flight from the Heathrow, they didn't let us go. But I think the reason because they told more than what they have over there. Because seven people checked the ticket on the plane over there on, behind the disc. And it was so busy, more than 20 people, they didn't let us go fly. And they, 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 they provide the hotel and the meal, everything for them, including me and another family. Okay. It was Qatar's airline's problem. It wasn't, our, it, wasn't, it wasn't our fault. And I had all the documents. I take a screenshot, I show them as a proof Qatar doesn't need the uh, vaccination or because we are not going inside the country. We just transit in for an hour in the airport. Okay. That's it. That must have been very traumatic and for you. They, and they, they say no. Yes. Uh, you know, you have to remove. And I repaid another 517 euro for all of us. And they sent me to. I booked it for the PCR test. The PCR test, I did it half past eight in the morning. Only the result of, for two of us. For two of you came back. And doesn't show up. Yeah, and I told them and I explained. They ran Suleimani. Suleimani, they say, it doesn't matter. We will provide things on customers. 
cost, which is $15, which is they do that in the first day. But what, what was the reason? What was the reason they didn't allow you board? Did you, did you require further documentation? Uh, no, they didn't let me. But what I thought, because it was overcrowded, they sold more than ticket watch the space they had. Ah, okay. There was no space. But what they did, yeah. So they sent all the people, which is this, they, they sold it from Qatar themselves. Which is we booked it with an American Qatar website. Yes, but you would have had you would have had your boarding passes. You would have had your boarding passes printed earlier in Cork Airport. So they should have known you were coming I at least. I did it, but they didn't have the original one. Mm. Yeah, I did it. I was over there four hours before. Very so, early in the morning. They didn't have the original boarding ticket to print. They only have the, I, I don't know, some paper issue, something's issue. But anyway, they give me the boarding over there. They give me the boarding address, all of them, all through. Okay, tell me, tell me what happened no after you were denied boarding. Um, it's not a great line because it's on WhatsApp and there's a bit of a delay. When, when, yeah, yeah. When I was delayed, so for the next uh, claims, so I spent five hundred twenty for the new ticket. I spent four hundred twenty for the um, PCR test, but we only have two of them. Myself was missing. I didn't get a result, and I told them and I explained to them. I say, I well, I supposed to be there to see my cousin. She's already passed away, and, and not delay more than that. They call Suleimani and Suleimani give them the okay, say, it's okay, he can come, we will do it here for you. Okay, so while all this was going on, your, your, your loved one passed away. Yes, and then the fight in Heathrow was delayed another five hours because some technical over there. Then I missed another flight in Qatar. I'm in Qatar now. I missed another flight. They delayed me for another 10 hours. They didn't provide any room and things like that in Qatar. So I have to raise my voice again here. I was fighting. I was shouting. There's another 25 people here all gathered together and something. Finally, then we push them. Then they give us some place to sleep after 48 hours. Okay. So you were denied any customer service support, you claim, and despite more than two hours' calls to customer service. Um, and it's impossible, I think, to understand why others who refused boarding had their flights rescheduled. They had accommodation yeah, provided. They yeah, they didn't. Even in London, they didn't give it to me. Even in here this morning, they were uh, here at half past one. They didn't give it uh, half past three because that, the, the uh, plate is delayed. And one cost you to another, and nobody's responsible. You cannot see the supervisor, not see the manager. So would, would you contend that being left in the airport overnight that you, that you were bullied and being forced into pay for more tickets before being allowed to continue your journey? Yes, yeah, I was sleeping in the airport. I couldn't, I, wow. I didn't have no rest. And there's a people before me, I, I take the picture, have the record, they provide them the meal and the hotel as well. Okay. But they didn't give it to me because I, what I did, I just tried to fight for my right. For that, they just ignored me. And when are you coming back to Ireland? Are you in the Cork and area when you're here? Yes, I will be in Cork again. Yeah, yeah. on 11, hopefully okay. next month. Uh, well, we're looking forward to giving you a welcome back anyway. What do you do here, Akko? Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so many. Okay. Uh, not a great line. And uh, listen, thanks for coming on anyway. Uh, and that seems like a very, very no sad, problem, sad situation. Thank you, Akko.
uh, a family from Ireland, originally I think from Qatar, because that's where uh, we're calling Akka. Uh, parents, two children, uh, reportedly abandoned by Qatar Airways in London Heathrow, and we'll put into Qatar Airways, I think, for uh, for a statement if we can. Uh, Three thousand five hundred almost spent on their trip to see family for the first time in almost seven years, uh, an especially critical trip uh, because uh, there was a family member uh, in a very bad situation health-wise. And the family was terribly upset. They complied with all the rules, confirmed with a member of the, uh, I think it was the Qatar customer service team, I could be wrong. But the family travelled from court to London with their lingus, checking all their documents and issuing their boarding passes for their onward journey and their return flights. Everything is going swimmingly. Then they were denied uh, boarding and uh, denied, they say, any customer service support after hanging on the phone for two hours. Others who were refused boarding. Uh, and it seems that Qatar has seriously overbooked this flight uh, had their flights rescheduled, they had accommodation provided, they had meals at no extra cost. Yet Akko and his family, uh, who are coming back to the Cork area, uh, were left in the airport overnight and apparently bullied and forced to pay more for tickets before uh, being allowed to continue their journey. And sadly, in the meantime, while all this was going on, their family member passed away. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 25 to 10 on this Thursday morning, June 23rd. And uh, to the phone lines we go now. And to John, good morning, John. How are you doing? Mike? No, uh, I'm good. Now, you had to leave work to take care of your grandmother because there were yes. no interpreters for sign language in the hospital she was in. Your, your grandmother is deaf mute, is that correct? Yes, that'd be right, yeah. Okay, yes. tell us the story. So it would, it would have been back in 2017, Mike, should be I would remember because she died on the 14th of June. Our anniversary just passed, so she would have been uh, the last week of February, first week of June. I would have been going for prolonged. Looks like we've lost him. It looks like we've got a bad line there. Um, we will come back to it. Uh, let's uh, release that line and see if we can uh, get John back on line. Looking at some of the uh, morning papers on the music uh, that's coming back, you'll be forgiven for thinking you were back in the 80s. Uh, the uh, hit review, including, of course, Kate Bush in the spotlight again after her 80s hit Rolling Up That Hill hit number one in the charts 37 years after it was first released, be, uh, before being knocked off the spot by a young man from Monkstown called uh, Ronan O'Driscoll with cages. Uh, and I know it can be a fleeting thing, uh, but that's uh, very, very good when it happens. The, the big power songs, of course, and the big money behind the record companies uh, make that a rare occasion. But congratulations to Ronan on knocking Kate Bush off the top spot uh, in that particular chart. And by the way, Ronan's going to be here with us uh, tomorrow as well uh, to play us out on Friday as we musically play out most Fridays now. Uh, and playing his new single, Cages. Let's go back to uh, John. We've got him back on line two. Hi, John. Sorry, yeah, Mike. Uh, it's my oh, there's a better line now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my area, dear. Okay, just um, to get back to it, you had to leave work to take care of your grandmother who was deaf-mute because there were no interpreters for sign language whatsoever in the hospital she was in. Carry on with yeah. the story. Yeah, so I, um, I, I had left uh, work. I was working actually in Cork myself at the time, so it was easy to go to CUH. But um, I, lived, I lived in Croom. And I used to have to, I, I stayed off work, so I travelled from Croom to Cork every day for two weeks to uh, interpret it with the doctors at whatever, half seven in the morning. And there was another deaf lady, I can remember, in the ward that morning, and the nurses said to me that this is the first time that there was ever two deaf mutes inside. This lady was from Yall, I can't remember her name, but I interpreted it for her as well. But her daughter just come by bus. Uh, every day at about 10 or 11 o'clock, probably transportation could have been the problem. But my issue is, Mike, is that 
there should be 24 uh, interpreters in hospitals for Irish people of the country, you know. Um, we're bringing people in from all other parts of the world and we can't look after our own. I'm born and bred from deaf people and it's annoyed me for a very long time, very close to my heart. And, as, you know, they're treated like second-class citizens in a country where, where they've worked all their lives. Sure, John, you just know. to focus on that, if, if your grandmother is deaf-mute... And there are no interpreters in the hospital. She's technically in limbo land on her own. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've had issues with doctors already, Mike. I've had issues. I, I, I had issues. Like, I actually got a bit aggressive, and, like, for, for good reason, because when you're looking at a woman in pain like that, and she's close to you like that, nobody wants to see somebody like that, like, you know. You, but you, you can't be there 24-7. Uh, but the fact, like is, the fact is no nurse can ask her how she is, if she has a pain. No how she's no. feeling, nor can she no. communicate with no. the medical staff no. as to no. if anything is wrong with no. her. So she's no. not getting adequate care? No, 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 never, no, 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 no. The only care she got really was probably through <laughs> um, uh, people who were close to them. There's a lot of deaf people isolated in this country, Mike. That's, that's not to say the nurses would not have been kind to her. Of course they would have been kind. But there's a well, huge communication gap. There's a huge communication gap and you end up being kind. I'm not, as again, I wouldn't just any person that helps them there, but... Like, with all their education and stuff, wouldn't you think, like, if they were an interpreter for someone from Poland or something like that, they could have, they could have an interpreter for an Irish person inside in an Irish hospital? Do you think they'd have them 24-7 there, wouldn't you? So you, think, you're, uh, you're contending uh, that we have enough interpreters for foreign nationals coming in here, but not for deaf people? Of course. There's only four in Munster, and I know them, personally. Do you know? So there's only four in Munster. They can't be ever at one time, Mike. Yeah. Do you know? There's a lot of deaf people in Ireland, like, that I've forgotten about. Do you know? You know, there's a lot of things like I, 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 the list goes on really. But I like they like people go around and they call deaf mutes. They call them another word that they're not even going to mention the name. They call it it's spelled D U M B, and by any means they're far from that. Of I'm course, born not. from them people. Both my parents were deaf. You know, they gave me a gift by giving me sign language. By right, it should be taught in schools. You know, you know, you found national schools they haven't taught potatoes inside to them. Do they have them for the deaf? No. And again, I'm not a racist man. I'm an Irish man, proud Irish man. You know, but where does the line stop for these people, the unforgotten deaf? You know? Yeah. My, my daughter did a, did a course in, uh, in sign language and, uh, you know, maybe not an extensive course, but in her pursuit of a, of a social work degree, uh, felt that it would be of an advantage. It's obviously a huge, huge gap uh, and would be a massive advantage to anyone she encounters that might be uh, deaf-mute. Yes, of course, my Jesus. Like you know, you, you got to think about it. Like um, you know, I, I see it with people, and God, you know, it, it just shows the innocence to people that can talk. Cause, like my mother there, but like I, I come from deaf myself, as you told you. Both my parents were, were deaf. I have relations that are deaf, um, but uh, and I know a lot of deaf community. But some people don't really realise to the degree what deafness is because people come up and talk to my mother, and they think that she's going to talk to her back again. Like I shouldn't be laughing really, but to that. You know, see it over the years. Um, I just I try to explain that she doesn't understand what you're saying to her. Like, you know, but would, would your mother ha- have developed lip reading techniques mm, and abilities? Only to only to a certain degree. You know, my favorite. If you were saying like uh, how they say to you, the the old the the, the, the dirty words on her, like she wouldn't long give an old slap foot. Like she don't like them kind of things. But uh, she wouldn't be a fluent lip reader. No, mm. but um, she um, I know some deaf that would be, but my mother not so much. You know, my mother uses the hearing aid now, and she'd be able to hear us, but. My mother's nearly 80, you know, Mike. And, yeah. Um, she doesn't know well, on, on, on one side of the scale, at, at the upper end of, of HSE operations, when uh, when Tony Holland was giving out the, uh, the, you know, the national COVID figures every night, and it became kind of magnetic listening, 
and watching. There, there was always a facility to, to, uh, to have that information available to the deaf of Ireland. And at the other end of the scale, at the, at the, at the coalface, if you like, at the point of care, uh, there's a huge deficit. Uh, and, you're, you're, and, and deaf mute people in hospital are in that void. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely, and, and, and isolated from people. I COVID and have made a lot of deaf people frightened, you know, like I, to, to be honest with you, there's a true saying, no news is good news, but I actually had to tell my mother to stop watching RT, but she wouldn't, because it was frightening them, like, as yeah. well, in a way, like, you know, it frightened them, because I'd be talking, to, I'd be talking to a lot of deaf through FaceTime now, which is a great thing, that's probably the best thing that has come for the deaf in, in my lifetime and has seen them being able to communicate through FaceTime, you know, and uh, it's, that's been a, a real ground opener for the deaf of Ireland because a lot of them don't drive, a lot of them are getting of age now that they're not able yeah. to drive, but they need more than that, Mike. John, you know, I, they, I think it's, it's also important to differentiate. There's a big difference between an interpreter for foreign nationals, uh, you know, which, which is needed if oh, people are fleeing oh, from, oh, from oppression oh, and that. There's a big difference between that and, and a sign reader. Oh, I, I know there's a big difference, and again, as I say, uh, they're entitled to that. They're very entitled to that. I, I, I've nothing against some of people coming into Ireland and going to work here. Yeah? I know if I, my mother and father worked all their lives, Mike. My father worked in the Golden Bell for 30 years and names for 10. My mother worked in the Deer Park Hotel. My mother never has went off the system. Now, I need a deaf people that I know. My cousin Patrick was in the meat factory for the last 33 years, and, and again, within names before that. Never asked for anything the system. But what's there for their mental health and X, Y, and Z? They're not going to turn around and tell things that are close to them about their private lives. There's none of that for them there. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Whereas, do you know, unless they have money, a lot of these deaf people don't have money. Do you know? You know, I don't need to get on. But the, the number of the know? issue here is, is that if an Irish citizen is deaf mute and is in hospital and there is no means of communication between that person and the medical staff, then there is a deficit of care and there is a duty of care in the state to fill that deficit course, and, and provide. Now, I'm not sure how long it would take to train up people in, in sign language. Um, well, but uh, I don't know. Listen, if they're educated enough to go to school and become doctors and nurses and go to college and stuff, one little thing there's be going to be signing them while you're going through in the four years and five years of the train. It wouldn't take that long to do sign language. I mean, I'm doing sign language before I was talking, and I just don't remember because my family members taught me. So I was doing sign language before I could even talk to you on this phone as a kid. You know, only I can't remember because I was born around it. John, can, can, I, can I go back to your, your youth and, and being yes, born to deaf parents? How did yes. you begin to communicate in the world? How did they communicate with you? You know, oh, you know geez, before I, you had communication I, skills, when you were a baby. I've got to tell you now, Mike, I, and this is, this is from the bottom of my heart, I had the best upbringing from two of the best loving parents ever. I never wanted for anything. It, my father was so loving. Um... The nuns of Charles back in that time now would have been the late 80s, would have given him a classroom every Monday night. And the amount of people from my local town that used to come and learn how to do sign language. So I would have learned a lot there. And he would have learned me a lot at home, personally, one to one with his best friend, Jerry Ledger, which has passed away since as well. The two of them passed away. But they would have taught me a lot of sign language and my brothers, so on. And, and your language ability, where did you learn? Was it, was it Irish or English um, you grew up well, with? I tell you, my, my, my relations, my father's uh, sister, God rest her soul, and her, her daughter, other family members from my mother's side as well, they were all of help really, you know. It was a very close-knit family, you know, which we still are, so thank God. Um, but there was a lot of help from the family, big help, mm-hmm. and friends. You know, it was a close community. The deaf is a close community, but I found COVID as well as probably... Uh, change a lot of things for the deaf society, I think, in a way as well. 
Um, you know, my mother, as I said, does. There's a doctor. There's a, a doctor in Dublin. His name is Doctor Collins, and he sees deaf people. But you can only be the, between the ages of 40 and 60. So what happens to the people that's between whatever from five to 39 and from 61 to 80? There's nothing there for them. He sees nothing people between the ages of 40 and 60. Yeah, that's all he can see. That's the only age group he'll see. That's very strange. But there's nothing else then from like as well. So I've been on, I've been I've been talking to CDA CDA this morning, which is the Cork Deaf Association. I was talking to him before I called to this morning, and 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 one deaf guy is thinking about going to England because in England or in Northern Ireland you get free electricity, free house. Now I know this is I shouldn't be laughing by saying this, but this is an Irishman in his own country. This is what annoys me. But he's, he's thinking about going to England because the cost of living here and when you're over there with, with a disability, it's, you probably get things a lot more better than you would in this country, you know? Okay. That's, that's, let's that's let's get back to your, your initial issue, John. Is that because of the deficit of services for your deaf-mute yeah, grandmother, yeah, you, you've had to leave work? Where, where were you working and why did you I feel you working, had to leave? I was actually working directly across from the train station in Cork, in... My, in, uh, in, in, in um, in a building there across the train station in Cork, I was working in there. Um, I was doing block work in there. That's where I was working now. And that would have been on around... It would have been around the 22nd of... 3rd of February, uh, 2017. I got a phone call. She was being brought by the ambulance to the hospital. And from that day on, then I just I just stayed with Maisie until she died three weeks later. Okay. So how sad. Yeah. Very so sad, where, where, very do you, sad. where do you go from here personally, John? Ah, to be honest with you, Mike, um, it's always been in my heart about getting it out about deaf, and there, there should be more for deaf and for, you know, the deaf youths coming through, and for the old people of the the, 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 the old society, the deaf, like to me, I, feel, I find like they're forgotten about, you know, um, uh, as I said, like, I know this, this dream of mine will never happen, that it'll be taught in schools, sign language, which yet we can go and teach our people how to talk Irish and stuff like that, and what about teaching people about sign language? It is like it is a language at the end of the day, you know. So you know, the list goes on, Mike. But yeah. I just want to get it out there for the deaf people, you know. That it's a valid point. It, it is a language, you know, in some places, not in all, of course. And there are people who will cling with messianic devotion to the Irish language. But in some places, having sign language could be the difference, especially in a hospital, between life and death. Oh, uh, of course, you've said it, Mike, of course. And you, you look at English shows, there are, are like shows in the north. Every show that's on, whether it be a kid's programme or an adult's programme, they have an interpreter down in the corner. You only get an interpreter here on the news at half. Or my mother watches it, which will be after the quarter to six news, the sign language news comes on. You should only get it once a day, like, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things as well. Like, oh, look, the deaf needs to be made more awareness in this country. The deaf mutes are for me anyway, definitely. Um, well done, John. It's, it's, you've, you've put your point across very well and, and you've certainly focused on the uh, the lack of sign readers and uh, the lack of uh, proper communication channels for the deaf mute in hospital, which leaves them yes. in a completely uh, unfair void. And I th- uh, thank you for coming on. Yes, Mike, I'm very thankful for taking me too. I'm Not a thankful. problem. It's very been a pleasure. Thank you, John. God bless. Take Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, the Chemical Brothers have cancelled their gig at Musgrave Park in Cork tonight. A statement from organisers MCD and the group themselves on social media on Wednesday evening said the Chemical Brothers are sorry to announce they've had to reschedule their show at Musgrave Park in Cork on Thursday, June 23rd due to illness. The show will be rescheduled to 2023. Uh, the Chemical Brothers, of course, are the veteran British electronic duo Tom Rollins and Ed Simons 
they were to kick off their second batch of summer gigs at the Cork Rugby Stadium uh, followed by Lewis Capaldi who's coming in on Friday night Dermot Kennedy on Saturday night and the promoters of the Chemical Brothers and gig, in, uh, gig in Cork say a new date will be announced in due course the group had originally planned the gig for June 2020 but the pandemic had pushed it back to 2022 uh, but however if they'd left it at illness it would have been fine uh, but then they said uh, members of the band and crew had COVID. But the British duo have this weekend uh, had this week announced an appearance at the Glastonbury Festival, which is tomorrow night. And a string of summer dates across Europe are also planned. And at the time uh, of going on air this morning, about an hour ago, there was no word yet on whether any of those performances would be affected. And we've tried to contact MCD as well. Ticket holders will have the option of seeking a refund or holding on to their tickets for a future date. Uh, so... Let's see if they play uh, in uh, in Glastonbury tomorrow night. They had confirmed a set at this weekend's Glastonbury Festival follow, following rumours of their return. Uh, the electronic duo um, have been tipped to fill one of the various to be confirmed slots at this year's lineup. But I think that was confirmed during the week. George Ezra also looks to be playing uh, in the Sunday afternoon slot on the John Peel stage. John Peel, the man who uh, responsible really for discovering Thin Lizzy. Now, this has yet to be officially confirmed. If they've let, if they'd left it at, uh, at illness, they might have got away with it. But now that they've brought COVID into it, I wonder will they actually appear at Glastonbury uh, tomorrow night. Paul McCartney, of course, uh, on his 80th birthday week, will be the headliner at Glastonbury. <laughs> Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. And to Ian on line two. Good morning, Ian. Welcome to the Neil Prenderville Show. You're saying the Pet Show boys could play an extra date there? It'd be wonderful if they could, but uh, unfortunately, obviously, that's not going to happen. How did it go last night? I saw one uh, detractor on Facebook actually about the gig. Uh, Connor O'Shea, who's uh, very, very well renowned as the loungeman, was saying a, a resounding no to the Pet Shop Boys last night. What would you say? Really? That's the first uh, negative comment I've heard. Uh, the music was tight. The graphics were absolutely fantastic. For two uh, now fairly elderly men of 62 and 67, they really rocked, you know. It took me right back to 1990. Is that what they are now? I suppose they would be being big stars in the 80s. They are indeed, yeah, they are indeed. And, uh, you know, it's the, the, the crowd there, let's say the crowd was um, mostly mid-40s upwards, uh, but everybody uh, was get, getting their groove on rocked out it was absolutely fantastic yeah tickets were like hen's teeth of course uh, for the pet shop boys you, you got yours in early did you I did indeed yeah as soon as it was announced uh, that was going to be the gig of the year really and uh, so far that has fulfilled expectations uh, I got some videos on whatsapp from people who were at the gig and one was a, a cover of uh, uh, where the streets have no name by you too uh, that's a kind of a strange one to cover what did you think of that one uh, I I've heard the cover before. Um, I'm not a fan of the song, either the YouTube version or the Pet Shop Boys cover. You know, but uh, oh, come on, you gotta be a you gotta be a fan of the YouTube version. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, it's just one of those ones which has just never really done it for me. But as you know, musical is uh, music is the most personal thing, so uh, just never really did it for me. But uh, the rest of the set was just absolutely spot on. I love I love when a band so famous does does a cover. When when I went to see Don Henley at the Marquee, he did a brilliant, brilliant cover of uh, "Everybody Wants to Rule the World." Tears for Fears. Yeah, that, that was. I imagine that's one which the Pet Shop Boys could cover very well as well. You know. So, oh, very well. Yeah. Uh, 
the music of that era. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, and the back, the, the back of musicians were spot on. That they said I did have one slight criticism. Oh, here we go. Go on. <laughs> Due to the uh, fantastic graphic setup with the uh, retractable video wall, etc., it's all very, very high tech. Looks absolutely wonderful. Um, but uh, for most of the set, the band were actually hidden away behind that. Oh, the okay. Graphics were prominent. All you saw was the two. Maybe guys they were taking oxygen or something. But a great gig, all the same. <laughs> Thanks a million for the call. Great gig, all the same. Cheers, Ian. No thank you, thank okay. you very much. Thanks. News and Ten is on the way. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And let's go to our phone lines now. Uh, first of all, let's, uh, though, just to wrap up the topic, uh, uh, give you some texts uh, on uh, 0868104106 on John. Very disappointing hearing that man's story about his mother's medical care. I'm a healthcare worker in Cork City. We have access to uh, interpreters for the deaf community 24-7 and frequently use that service. I've also learned some basic signing skills myself in my own time to support me in my job. Do your research. Uh, hospitals have access to translators for any language, including for deaf people. A deaf person can be communicated through with written methods. So care-based methods are not only verbal, non-verbal cues are also observed. Have you researched how much has been spent on translators or sign language last year by hospitals before you say it's not used or people don't get proper care, as you stated? Uh, no, we didn't research it in any great detail. We took a call from somebody who had to leave his job because uh, there was no adequate translator uh, in, in, in sign language that is uh, to communicate with his deaf mute grandmother whom he's now minding. Now to line two and to uh, Jerry Bottomer a member of the Oireachtas Transport Committee Jerry, good morning. Good morning Michael and Mick, how are you? This Very good, on a lighter note before we start off, any Cork slang that uh, you would uh, have grown up with and are very fond of from, from well, your youth? I, I was going to start by saying that I'm weak for Cork Airport. How's that? <laughs> I'm weak, bye. <laughs> or I, uh, or I, as, as, uh, one of my favourite ones, actually, and I love doing it, is, is Er I Will Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, as a former school teacher, it was one that I always loved hearing was Er I Will Yeah. Or, you know, I think the Cork slang, and you said it very well there, you, you can do it two or three words, you can have everything about somebody, in, in, and it's, it's brilliant. And it's always great when you go abroad or you meet people from Cork in places like America. Or Boston or wherever, and the cock accent and, and the pitch and the tone of her voice lifts and the lilt, uh, and it's brilliant. And we are lucky, being from Cork, that we have a wonderful accent, we have wonderful people, and we have a great way of communicating. And it's you know like I'm allergic or I'm weak or, as you said, you know the other ones that you had this morning they were kind of good as well in terms of you know I, one of my favourite ones is sketch. I still love that word sketch. You know, and I still have happy memories of being in school. Sketch or, being, or sketch? Uh, sketch. As in, there's someone coming, you know, sketch, sketch. Okay. You know, we, <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I was trying to remember the th- uh, three things with Rory, uh, and it's a greeting. You can give a Corkman a greeting anywhere, a Cork woman a greeting anywhere you go. It, it's probably a male thing, I suppose, because of one of the words. But you can give them a greeting. You can comment on their social status, and you can ask them what's going on with Story Sham. Sam or Fien, yeah, who's going Fien? Uh, this, this, this is another one I love, and, and this goes back to um, uh, my late and great dear friend, uh, Frank O'Brien. We were walking down McCordon Street one day, and he saw two people coming towards him that he didn't want to meet, and he said, oh, God, Mull, no, there's a right couple of handy dockets. 
pockets, yeah. Anyway, Jerry, yeah. to things more serious, you're a member right, of the yeah, uh, Iraq Dis- Transport Committee. You have to laugh, though, and we are from Cork, and it is special, and it is unique. Uh, on, on a talk about their meeting in Cork Airport on Monday, uh, the airport has announced yesterday an extending of routes. Uh, should uh, we be demanding more routes from Cork to take the pressure off Dublin Airport, do you think? Well, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and in, in fairness to Cork Airport, they have a dedicated aviation business development team uh, and they're doing a huge amount of work. And as you know, and as your listeners will know, airlines make decisions based upon uh, the commercial basis, whether they have sufficient demand, the viability of the route, the yield and the potential passenger usage. Uh, and for me, it's... And I think if we look at what happened, not just in Dublin Airport making in recent times, but what's happening in the world aviation... Uh, we must put in place a recovery scheme for aviation that takes on board the importance of airports like Cork. Uh, And then that means three things for me. One is that government must intervene in terms of its aviation policy and and realign, insofar as they can, passenger numbers out of the main airport, Dublin. Then secondly, the Regional Airport Development Fund, which this year for the first time uh, was able to be used by Cork Airport in the context of the capital funding, which was used in Cork's case about you know electrical substation, uh, and, and we've seen the new runway in there. So I think that the, the, the funding under the Regional Airports Programme must be retained for airports like Cork to allow Cork Airport to be able to compete and I recognise and I hope people understand that we'll never be like Dublin or Manchester or, or, or Heathrow, but we can ha- have an airport that is very successful, that will build upon the growth that it has by being able to attract airlines to use Cork. Mm. Uh, so I believe some of the major American airlines have written to the DAA uh, saying that uh, maybe the, the pre-clearance might be in, in danger now because of, uh, of the overcrowding there. Cork as a pre-clearance area for certain areas of the east coast of America might be an option. But that, that aside, uh, the DAA patently can't run their own show in Dublin. Why should they be in charge of Cork as well? Well, I think for a number of reasons, Cork have benefited from being part of the DEA, and we've seen how Cork Airport is able to compete uh, in terms of its growth of its passenger numbers, you know, from 2.7 million to 2.5 million that period before COVID. And since COVID, we've seen Cork rebound better than Shannon. Um, and, and historically, Cork has always been competitive. Uh, and, and there is a piece of work for the, the aviation regulation, CAR, in terms of its determinations around you know, charges in terms of Cork versus other places. But I think from a, from a Cork perspective, we've we've done well under the DEA. We've seen investment. Uh, we've seen our own, you know, operations at the airport, whether it's security, whether it's staffing, whether it's baggage, is quite good. Um, and and that's a, that, that is under the DEA umbrella, remember. Mm-hmm. So Cork, with its own aviation business development team, is working quite well. What we need to see happen also now, is to have a member, and it's not about just Cork, you know, it's, it's a member on the board of Dublin Airport Authority from Cork. We're talking about a region here, and under Ireland 2040, Ireland, Cork is, is, is that second place as the counterfoil to Dublin. So we must make sure that in, the, in terms of the management and the structure of DEA, that Cork Airport, ha, not Cork Airport, but Cork the region, uh, has a voice at the table. Mm. Uh, and it's important that we do that. Uh, 
I, I, I don't subscribe and I, I've come on a journey myself to make around the, the use of Cork in terms of the being part of the DA. I think Cork has benefited from being part of the DA. I think we've done quite well. We've seen investment in the in the runway, in, in the terminal building, in different pieces of it there. So I, I think what we must do, like, for example, let me give you an example. Dublin Airport has given in terms of investment, 40 million at the Cork Airport in terms of the last number of years over baggage systems, runway, electrical, electrical substations. So without that, Cork Airport would be debt-laden and we would be struggling. So Cork independently and without that source of income like Shannon has would not be able to do that kind of investment. And we must remember that. But what we can do is we can leave our influence and we have the Taoiseach, the Minister of Public Expenditure Reform and the Minister of Foreign Affairs in our city, in government at the moment, we can leave our government to take away some of the aviation transport from Dublin to Cork. And and that's something we must press upon. But also then, make like, we can't just dismiss the airlines. Like, Aer Lingus, post-pandemic, with Emerald, haven't yet come back to the table, in my opinion, to make strong responses to Cork in terms of where they can fly out of in terms of sorry what I'm saying is Aer Lingus haven't come to the table to give us better options for flying out of Cork yet mm-hmm. and that needs okay. to be put to them as well I, I once asked Pat Dawson in his capacity as head of the uh, IATA the Irish Airline or Travel Association well, our Irish Association of Travel Agents um, could he honestly answer if more people were leaving for business or, uh, and pleasure from what we loosely call Terminal 3, Patrick's Key, or from Cork Airport. And he said, I honestly couldn't. So there was a policy of feeding into Dublin to keep their long-haul flights full. Uh, if we're to counter that policy, or if they need us to take some of the pressure off to be more generous to them, uh, then we're going to need proper connectivity with the big hubs of Europe. And those are Paris, Charles de Gaulle, uh, which there's not bad connectivity to. Uh, now we've KLM and Aer Lingus flying into uh, Schiphol in, uh, in Amsterdam. Yeah. So that's not bad. But we're going to need something regular to Frankfurt. Uh, and we're going to need something regular to Istanbul. Istanbul Airport is one of the nicest and most modern in the world now. And it's uh, serving as a huge hub as well. And we've no connectivity there directly, I don't think, anyway. No, and, and, and again, you, you, you've hit it in the nail, and, and we have good connectivity to the, to the two of the airports you spoke to, but in Frankfurt, Han is one we should certainly be pushing as well. And, and I, 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 I haven't given consideration personally to the Istanbul one, and I have used the airport as, as a hub airport flying to other places as part of my role with the OSCE. But you are right. It is about connectivity. It is about, you know, not just the dominance of Dublin and the aviation industry, but it's about encouraging passengers to come out uh, to, to to come out and use Cork and for example like we, we have Frankfurt in Cork as you know um, as well and I think to be fair to Cork Airport Mick they, they have been very proactive in terms of the business development plan uh, and, and Lufthansa is a new you know acquisition with Frankfurt we've seen Welling uh, which are a new player in the market uh, I, I would hope we can get more of Welling in Cork uh, Ryanair yesterday we had 35 years with Cork Airport but for me we have to look at the whole of Cork Airport and, and, and I keep going back to this you know we have 2.07 million to 2.59 million passengers in a four year period post pandemic it's taken off again and yes we, we, we would all like to see more passengers using Cork Airport more flights out of Cork Airport but that's down to airlines as well um, and it's also then about the aviation policy of government, and that's why I've asked, and I, I know on Monday we have the, the Transport Committee coming to Cork Airport as part of our series of engagements to, to speak to the airport about how we can help assist in route development and route retention. Uh, and that's an important point that, as I said, and I keep coming back to this point, Mick, the, the regional airport funding 
was is, is pivotal for airports like Cork now to allow us in 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 emerging from COVID to be able to deliver uh, on 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 not just the capital projects but on the whole issue of ro- of route development and retention. That's something we need to encourage. And then the other part that I would like to see happening from government perspective is that the tourism bodies would look at with with with, with transport department how we can boost Cork and. Uh, and you made a good point there about the hub. We're, in aviation, we're moving towards a hub model. So Dublin is that hub for parts of Europe to go east and west. Similarly, we must see how we can, in a short haul way, have Cork as that access point to go to Frankfurt or to go to Shiphole, as you said. And then if the Istanbul piece can work, then it's all the better. And, and I know certainly that from the when we had Norwegian, it was, it was reasonably successful. And I would hope that we can encourage the development of that linkage again, that connectivity with USA. Yeah, and of course Istanbul wouldn't have to be every day. People would gravitate towards Cork if there was maybe twice or three times a week. On that subject, though, in Norwegian, what about transatlantic flights? Will they come back to Cork? Well, I, I certainly hope they will. I, 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 I'm not privy to the intricacies of what Cork Airport are doing in terms of its, its, its daily activity with airlines. But as you know, um, and, and this week we've seen with American Airlines making different calls and, 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 and JetBlue in the States there's the, and Delta, there, there is an issue with, with aviation globally. Um, and, and that's something that we have to see how it pans out. But I would hope, Mick, that we could see something like a New York or, or some type of a Boston, like maybe not TF Green this time, but Logan uh, being returned. Because there is an appetite for it. We saw with the Norwegian that there was an appetite by the travelling public to, to use it. Um, for me, it's about ensuring that Cork Airport can compete. Uh, and, and, and based upon the demand that we have seen, the short-haul routes of Europe have been quite successful. But I keep stressing, like, you know, the airlines are about economy about making money and, and they're not going to you know set up a route and suddenly discover it's, it's there's no demand it's not viable and then just close it down as you know mm. so we have 40 routes of the cork airport with eight airlines um, and we hope that that can be increased from a from a cork perspective but i have to say mick and i i know you probably would say i will say this but we are very well served by our our, our team in cork airport with Niall mccarthy and our royal driscoll the acting manager and the, and the business development team there who are doing a trojan work and i think the customer experience by and large at the cork airport is absolutely brilliant uh, by comparison to other airports of, of its size and I, and I think we should give them credit but what we must do collectively is to boost capacity is to increase the offering but also to encourage people from, from Port Leash down from Thurles from Waterford from Kerry to come to Cork rather than going to other airports because it makes no sense as you said in, in the context of, of, of you know people travelling to Dublin and, and I know you made the point about going up the Keys and, and up to Dublin but I, I would certainly hope that from a Cork perspective that as part of the review of our national aviation policy uh, we can see a, a changing but that change can only happen with government and with airlines working together to, to and, and the DEA and, and the regulator so I'm, I'm positively optimistic about Cork Airport but I, at the same time I would encourage people um, that we need to use our airport ourselves and encourage and have a strong marketing campaign around it. Okay, now I'm, I'm not sure if we're geographically bound by the location of Cork Airport, but why didn't we extend the runway or widen it to allow wide-body aircraft or is there even an, a market appetite for that level of size of airplane? Well, well, I'm told by the powers that be that 
the whole issue of, of the size of aircrafts is changing and the, and the different air, aircraft now transatlantic can land in Cork because I suppose the, with, with the whole issue of, of, of energy and climate change air, air, airlines are changing the size of their planes and, and, and I'm told that the, the plane that would be new for example for an, a transatlantic and we've seen it with Norwegian can land in Cork and can take off from Cork so I, I don't think that's an issue at the moment um, and, and I suppose that argument was well m- documented over time and we're not going to change we're not going to move the airport now anyway so but I'm told that the type of plane being used now has changed and, and that the Cork airport is, runway is well able to manage the type of plane that would be needed and used in this situation it, please God if we get back to the transatlantic Yeah and I'm sure the grounding of the 737 MAX uh, had something to do with the uh, the cessation of flights from uh, from Norwegian. Yes. Uh, and I yes. do concur with your point, Jerry, that uh, we are being well served now by the, the management and by the uh, the staff, the ground staff and the security at Cork Air. But it's always a friendly experience going through. Uh, and that's a long way from once on this programme. Uh, I, I once had to call Cork Airport a destination desert uh, to get a spokesperson to come on the air. And then we had a right ding-dong about it. But uh, uh, that's not the case now. Ryanair have announced 22 routes going to be running from Cork Airport this winter. Six of their popular summer spots being extended. The budget airline is the largest operator from the airport, of course, three airplanes, and have launched a seat la- sale lasting until Friday to celebrate their 35 years there. So well done to them as well. The future for Cork Airport, is it bright, do you think, Jerry? I think it's positive. Like, I, I, you know, going back to your transatlantic piece, like the planes, you know, that we would need for the East Coast can use Cork. It's about encouraging airlines. And I suppose, Mick, we're, we're in the middle of a war in Ukraine, which has had a profound impact on, on travel for a, for a part of the year. We have an energy crisis. Uh, we have climate action. Um, and, and they're all part of a, of a moving piece of a jigsaw in aviation. But there is pent-up demand, as we see now, post-COVID. Um, far travel uh, and what we must do now collectively uh, is from a from a government perspective is to try and, and, and reflect in our aviation policy that we have more than one airport uh, and Dublin Airport has a huge offering um, and, and there's part of it that we can change in terms of its hub piece around you know east-west as being that destination for people as, as to transit on but what we can encourage is is airlines to come and use cork through airport charges and through in- incentives like government have given already to the airports and i would hope that as part of a review that we can accentuate the need for our regional airports to be supported more and and i'm unapologetic in in, in supporting cork airport um historically as you said we've had issues but now we have a very robust strong team running the airport with a wonderful staff uh, and the experience of customers and passengers is quite good and what we must do now is to ensure that we can you know promote and encourage airlines to come and say well look we can use Cork Airport as that hub destination as that airport on a point of connectivity elsewhere as well so that's part of what we must try and all do. Okay, uh, not not to be too unkind to Dublin Airport but it has to be said Jerry Terminal 1 at Dublin Airport is an absolute kip well, it, it's it's not as 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 image friendly as Cork is, uh, but look to be fair to the staff in Dublin Airport and to the management, they're doing their best, and 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 I think you know, they're, they're, I'm not trying to defend the indefensible here, but if you look at Heathrow Airport, Gatwick, look at what happened in, in, in last weekend it was a holiday weekend in America, there was chaos in airports, and and it's happening all over the world. Um, what we must do is to ensure that 
yes, you are right. The offering is customer friendly, and nobody nobody wants to see what happened in in Dublin Airport a number of weeks ago it's unacceptable um, but I think to be fair we we were out at the, as a committee with Dublin Airport we met them we had them in the committee uh, it has improved um, again Mick part of the difficulty is airlines too were cutting staff as well and they haven't had you know they had issues that weekend about the drop and, drop and collect and different things with baggage handlers and so on so look it's 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 something that we have to get right uh, because it is as you as you will say it is the offering that comes in when you arrive in Ireland and your bags are, are missing it's not a great start or your flight is cancelled or delayed it, it, it looks and sounds off and then and, and then the experience of, of having to queue like what happened that weekend in Dublin like if that was you and me we was I, I would be so stressed and frustrated I would be really unhappy um, and that's why I think it's important that as you said that airports come on programs like yours and are able to take questions from, from listeners and travelling public Well we have Would one for, for you Jerry. very quickly yes. if, uh, it's not a difficult one and I'm not sure if you can answer it uh, Anne good morning Hi Mick yeah I, I, we used to fly to uh, Bristol when we were going over to our daughter and son-in-law in uh, Devon okay, okay. now Stobart used to fly for Aer Lingus flight, but that they took that flight off be- during the COVID, and there's no replacement. We to go to Dublin in May for our, our grandson's wedding, and you know it's crazy. Okay, crazy. yeah, that, that that would seem like a viable route if if Emerald as Stubbard has become were to bring it back, wouldn't it, Jerry? Thanks, Anne. It would, and I yeah. made that point, Mick. Yes, Jerry, come on. You there, Jerry? Sorry. Sorry, Jerry, we lost you there for a second. Carry on. Oh, we seem to have lost Jerry now as well. Uh, okay, uh, well, let's leave it there, shall we? And uh, we'll come back to it at another time. But to finish up uh, this segment on Cork Slang, I had a lovely little uh, mail in from JP in Fitzy's Bar. Wonderful bar, wonderful service, wonderful staff in Crosshaven. A guy called Ian Armstrong, he says, has a Cork version of Scrabble. Check it out. It's very good. Maybe we should put this up on our social media. It's called Corkable. It's not called Scrabble, it's called Corkable. Let me read out the uh, the words that are on here, okay? Langball, Nori, Fla, Lasher, Fien, Decent, D-A-Y-C-E-N-T. Of course, Langer's going to be in there. Raza, uh, or Raza. Uh, Bazer, haircut. Gatch, Hopper, Dope, Banjaxed, Guza, uh, Gawk, Spoofer, Affront. That's a kick up the, uh, behind. Haunted and very, very many more. Uh, so best of luck with that to Ian Armstrong. It's called Corkable. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a game or just a bit of a spoof, but it's there anyway. Uh, and a couple of more we came across. Uh, Daw Fake. Uh, I once had, uh, an, uh, not an argument, but a discussion uh, with Liam Heffernan. Remember, he used to be Blackie Connors in Glenrow about uh, the word uh, doll fake. Uh, uh, is it uh, doll for fool and fake for forgery? A, fool, a fool's forgery. Uh, he contended, no, the Irish is gaw fake, that you'd have to have two looks at something. Uh, that it was a, 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 a gall fake, really. A doll fake is, is a, a counterfeit. He's after doll faking an ID to get served. And you know, often heard, my dad was often uh, doing carpentry and he said, oh, we'll have to doll fake that. Uh, the other one was, I'm fled out from work. I remember Neil uh, Tobin using that uh, to great extent. That means I'm exhausted. I'm fled out from working so much. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM.
And good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show with Mick Mulcahy. The six routes, by the way, that will be extended from the summer from Ryanair are Milan, Bergamo, Bordeaux, Venice, Pisa, uh, Valencia and uh, Faro. They'll be running twice weekly except Faro, which will run four times to the Algarve in Portugal. They also recently announced two uh, new twice-weekly winter routes going to Rome and Newcastle. That season from Cork starts from October and will run through until March 2023 in total. He, they say there'll be 119 weekly flights through the period and there's been a growing call for the government to refocus national aviation policy on Cork Airport so that it can work in tandem with Dublin Airport. The CEO of Cork Chamber, Conor Healy, says they're concerned about the dominance of Dublin Airport on Ireland's aviation industry. In recent weeks, thousands of passengers travelling through Dublin Airport have experienced long delays and queues with many thousands missing their flights due to staff shortages. This has led to calls for routes to be transferred to the regional airports in order to ease the pressure on Dublin. One person very much against that is Reggie from the Black Rock Road. And I would encourage you to find that uh, item uh, on YouTube or wherever. Uh, and uh, bringing more people from up the country down to Cork Airport, you will in your hole, he says. Uh, speaking to Red FM News, though, Cork Chamber's Connor Healy says it's a huge opportunity for Cork Airport. And I quote him here, there's an opportunity now to refocus our national policy in terms of aviation. Dublin Airport is as really important and really important airport for the country, a major hub and a global airport, but has become too predominant in the context of Irish aviation. And that's not necessarily good for the economy as a whole. If you look at Cork Airport, where we have significant capacity available, a relatively new airport with infrastructure in place, many routes and many of those airlines could, in fact, have operations operating out of Cork as well as Dublin. And a texter wants to take me to task for not being challenging enough to Jerry Buttermer. Uh, the paltry amount, they say, of people going through the airport is not good enough. 2.5 million people versus 33 million people in Dublin. How is that acceptable? There was 3.2 million people went through uh, Cork Airport uh, in 2008, and it's gone backwards since, so says P. I'm always interested in travel and uh, and airport issues, so if you've got anything to uh, relay, please do so on 0818 or by text on 086 8104106. Uh, and one final topic on travel for now. People don't have to travel for a full week, says Anne. Therefore, they could travel more often out of Cork to city breaks, like three or four nights. What about in the autumn to Rome or Venice or Faro and keep our planes full in Cork? To be honest, the travel agents could also do more advertising and make people aware as well. To line one and Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hi. Now we're back to the Hi. hospital issues and unfortunately... Uh, you lost your aunt uh, almost four weeks ago. So our sympathies on that. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, we, um, my aunt Christine, um, she was she had Down syndrome, um, and she lived a fantastic life. Um, she loved life, loved parties, everything. Um, but unfortunately, in December 2020 she was out um, actually visiting her brother and family before Christmas and um, like that it was lockdown I think well I don't know about lockdown but anyway there was restrictions so you won't be going out dining so they had her down for a bite to eat and a few drinks and she came home that night and she vomited um, and that was the first the start of Christine's illness um, we thought it was just kind of once off you know after heavy food and a few drinks and whatever and um, so obviously there was all lockdowns you couldn't get a doctor's appointment nothing for a long time um, and we let it go and it, it was very um, what was what's the word there was no um, 
Sorry, no, I can't. Empathy? Think. No, um, do you know, like, it, wa- it wasn't consistent. It was very random when she was getting sick, so we couldn't put it down to anything. Oh, sorry, I, to- um, I thought you were specific, talking about, you know? yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I have you now. So, yeah, yeah so was, was she misdiagnosed, time, you, you were saying? Well, by the time I brought her to the GP was um, April of 21, and then he obviously referred her straight away because Christine would be, rel- be relatively well normally, so obviously this wasn't normal for her. Um, and we got an appointment, I think it was for May 21 in the Mercy, and that was cancelled. Um, You're in the midst so of we were, the pandemic now, of course, as well. Yeah, so we were like, fair enough, look, um, obviously because of COVID, and it got uh, rescheduled, I think, for August. The day before her appointment in August, I got a call to say the appointment was cancelled. So, obviously, she's getting sick now nearly eight months at this stage. So, I was like, no, look, she needs the appointment. So, I understand you can't stay, but I need a new appointment now. You know, I'm not coming off the phone without an appointment. So, she she was like, look, I can't give you one. You'll have to ring out patients, rang out patients. They were like, no, I have to be the secretary. Was back on to the secretary. So, back and forth between the jigs and the reels, I got back on. And she said, look, you can keep the appointment for tomorrow. So we went in in August and we met with an understudy and um, they I said they were like gave the ins and outs. She was losing weight at this stage, vomiting quite a lot. Um, I I suppose like between her bone and stuff, it would be look. Sometimes she would be incontinent the odd occasion, you know, and um, but very rare. So. Um, we obviously, you write all that down before you go in and meet the doctor. And when we went in, he's like, um, what, what do you think? And I'm like, I'd say she needs the camera, you know, there's something going on. Like, she's obviously not well. And no, she won't tolerate the camera. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, and they're like, no, she won't tolerate it. And I was like, for sure, like, if it was me or you, that's what would be done. So why can't she? No, they just kept saying she won't tolerate it. So um, he went out of the room and spoke with his consultant and came back about 20 minutes and was like, no, yeah, um, we're just going to send her off. They gave a prescription for um, suspected ulcer. This is without doing any tests now, like nothing. Um, Suspected ulcer and um, helicobacter, you know, that bacterial thing in the stomach. Now, again, if that was me or you, you'd be breath tested before you're given a prescription for that. Uh, so we went off, gave her the medication for that. Obviously, there was still no difference. Um, eventually, we went back in another consultant meeting, a different one this time, another understudy. Okay, let's not mention any names here now, please. No, no, no uh, names. Mm. Um, and at this stage, actually, there was once she vomited blood. So this in September, there was one stage vomited blood. Again, a big weight loss, again, within these few weeks. Um, so if I had like I was literally shouting in there saying like she needs a camera and blah blah and uh, so they agreed to do a barium test and um, a tap test so brought her in for that she got the barium test done she like if you knew Christina she she was so like nervous of things and never spent time away from family overnight or anything and like she actually would make a food out of us then in there, you know. I like sure she was brilliant and whatever getting yeah. it done, but they 
the people the people in ultrasound and doing the barium test were incredible in the mercy I have to say that I'm very understanding where the situation and with her and everything because it's her first time ever getting anything like that done um, and they put down their grievances about her that she should be under sedation uh, you know it's because they kept saying oh she can't be sedated and um that she should be and like that pardon my ignorance on this but sorry pardon my ignorance on this issue but is that because she had down syndrome or what yeah definitely because there was an underlying condition a hundred percent um which i don't understand because like uh, she had epilepsy um and was on medication for that but didn't get seizures in a long long time but other than that christine for someone with down syndrome was absolutely like we were so lucky with how healthy she is, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and like the fact she was kind of literally fading away in front of us. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You'd have to take the chance, you know. And we said that to them, like she's obviously not well. We're not people to be running to doctors or hospitals and stuff. We knew she was very unwell. So this has um, been a very stressful and traumatic time for you. So traumatic because now we're and you're still without a diagnosis. No, we have diagnosis, but she's out in Kilcully. Okay, what That's happened? Ev- eventually she collapsed so at home. So eventually uh, we were up and down to, like, if I had, a, like, a record of the amount of phone calls, like, saying she needed to go in more, they'd done tests, um, they diagnosed her, misdiagnosed her with a different condition. Um, so they were treating her for that, but in the meantime she kept, like, deteriorating. There was never any improvement. Uh, she went in and out a few times, admitted. We were never, ever left to stay with her. Now, this is someone with two intellectual dis- well, an intellectual disability and she also had a diagnosis of dementia. And there was no one left to stay overnight with her. So now, you're fearing she's going to be in a very, very lonely place. We totally understand and understood with COVID and everything. And we said, like, look, if someone could be tested, one day we might be left in to visit her for 10 minutes. We'd have to ring daily. The next day, then, who it depended who you got on the phone, would say, oh, no, no visitors today. Then the next day, you could be left in. Like, I remember one day, her sister went down, and she was left into the ward for a bit. And the next day, I went down, and I went to walk in the way we would and whatever. And I had to sit out on the corridor. And Christine, like, Christine had a, an ID, so she couldn't understand like how one day someone's left in and the next day you're not. I was out on the corridor cutting her nails, like doing it. They didn't wash her. I had to ask for her to be washed. She wasn't washed since she was admitted, you know? Um, And like, this isn't blame on anyone in particular. Like, I think all the doctors, nurses, like they're all doing their best. But like, there's, there needs to be something and done because like my own mother was sick years ago and, she was in the mercy and the treatment that Christine got to what she got is it's third world. Um, so anyway, between the jigs and the reels, she was just deteriorating all the time, was going in for these procedures. No, um, there was never any improvement. And she was here in, I'm going to say March. And in the meantime now, she's, I, I, we were up and down to Amy about three times and we were always sent away. She was just put on a trip for dehydration. Her bloods were coming back normal. Um, she had uh, ultrasound. We were in Amy in January and um, I got sent away. They were like, no, she's fine. And I literally started crying um, to the doctors that day. And I was like, 
something further needs to be done and she what was the what ev- she wants. What was the eventual diagnosis? In the end, mm. ovarian cancer. In the end, so, how, yeah. how so stark a statement that is. With ovarian cancer on um, April the 1st and she died on May the 19th. What's that, six weeks? Six weeks. Wow. She was, and even at that, at her diagnosis, we had no staging scans, no biopsies, like nothing. Um, I actually got the diagnosis from my GP over the phone because I knew there was something wrong. She went in, she collapsed at home, and um, she went in by ambulance. And they kept her in, I think, that time for about 10 days. And at this stage, she actually went under a different doctor. Um, And he obviously investigated a bit more, sent her home. She came home Patrick's Day, remember, picked her up. And they said, come back um, for a follow-up pelvic ultrasound. Which, which Which could have been done a year previous. What, what, yeah, but she had a, an ultrasound done, done in um, January, and I was I was sent back to um, the A and E for the results. You know the way you were to go back over after the scan, and there was no cons- doctor to give us the results. So a guy came out and said, "Look, head away, and we'll ring you if there's anything, or you can come back because the doctor was stuck in Cheshire." I got a phone call that day to say the scan was fine. So how? In January of this year, did she get a, an ultrasound that they said was fine? And on April 1st, she was stage 4 ovarian cancer, like, spread to places we probably still don't know. Yeah, sure. And I know you're not apportioning blame to anyone in particular, but... And, no, uh, not... And I, this... I, I, on this program, we've heard many stories, especially during the pandemic, of uh, people who have been denied access to their loved ones whose loved ones passed away in what would seem like a very lonely situation with no one to hold their hand, except maybe one of the medical staff or whatever. Uh, but this is a system failure, really. What you're saying oh, 100%, is... 100%. She had that pelvic scan in, in January, ovarian cancer on the 1st of April. Something was missed. Anyone in particular. It, like I'm just like, in general, even... like We were her advocates, were her voice. And yes. it's the same with people previously. And, like, she couldn't speak, like, fully for herself. You know, Christine was very vocal and able. But, like, there's something she couldn't express. Or, like, they would say, is she in pain? She couldn't tell her level of pain, you know? Um, and Christine was conditioned. Like, Christine was 52. So it's different to people born with IDs and stuff. Now, like, they were nearly condition- conditioned and told oh, you're okay, you know? So if she went to even down to her own GP, uh, even as sick as she was in the last few weeks of her life, he'd say, Christine, how are you? I'm grand, yeah. you know? Like, it's only been four weeks, Michelle, since, since you lost Christine. And you can obviously, and I think the listeners will hear, the absolute love you had for her, uh, your aunt we Christine. All did. Like, yeah. she's a, you, she came from a big family, like seven brothers, four sisters, like countless nieces, nephews, grandnieces, and everyone loved her friends so much. It's a massive loss, but my, I'm so upset and angry because I, I feel I, everyone's telling us we've done everything we could, but why weren't we listened to? What yep. you know? And is how many more is this happening to? Yeah, that's the only solace you can take really There's is that you actually did like everything you could do to to get her diagnosed to, properly, and the system it seems. Um, failed your aunt Christine yeah 100% 
And like, it's, as I said, it's not just one person. The whole, like, I think the Mercy Hospital is a disgrace. Like, well, the Mercy Hospital not, does great work as well. You know, let, let's not apportion blame directly to I any one institution or person here. But there's, there's massive failings going on by the amount of phone calls you're getting about them. Yeah, well, you know, everyone is everyone and, is, is going to ring here with, with their own particular... And every situation is different. But look, you, you have to, and I have to admit, that there must be a systemic failure in the system. Uh, a massive oh, failure. it's not even... Like, and it's not... I, I Actually, I'm wrong. You're knocking... It's not actually just the mercy. You're knocking on the door for a, for a medical diagnosis for a year and a the half. And, 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 and you, actually. When you finally get it, she survives six weeks and, and it's ovarian cancer stage four when you finally get it. Uh, something not right this, there. What's not right either is when she did get the diagnosis, um, she wasn't well enough to go down. To like We couldn't bring her down. She was so sick at the yeah. time. We were, and we went down and they were like, oh, we're meeting you out of courtesy. Basically, that they didn't... Um, need to be speaking to us that she should be there and we we're like look she's not well enough and they're like oh you'd have to bring her down uh, she needs palliative procedures and like at that stage we had no face in the hospital and we didn't want her going back in and to be in there on her own like she was many times before you know sitting in a seat no interaction like Christine needed stimulation you know yes, yeah uh, um, as, as Down syndrome people do did, did, you, did you keep her at home until the end we did, thankfully, and it, look, at the end, it turned out lovely, and she, like we had um, amazing nurses from Marymount, and in the end, the the Mercy look did do palliative procedures, and they were very good. But how did it come to a stage four diagnosis of someone dying for us to be left in with her? She got her own private room, couldn't have been cared for better. Uh, while she got the palliative procedures. And then in the meantime, while we were in there, we met another family, um, a guy with Down syndrome. And um, any time he went in, no matter what, and he would have been in a bit, he was always left a family member. So how is one person allowed and one isn't? Yeah. You know? I, I know uh, her passing like, is, is, is recent, it's raw. You, you can tell how much you've loved her, but there are questions that need to be answered as to... You know, equality of treatment or fairness in the system here uh, for your late Aunt Christine. You know, and like, I just feel like where their advocates, their voices, and if we're not being listened to, sure, what, where'd you go from there? Yeah, I, I, I get it. Michelle, thanks very much. I'm out of time, but thank you so much for okay, for displaying thanks. the love so eloquently for, for your late Aunt Christine. Uh, and once again, our sympathies on her passing. That's all we can say, really. And uh, yeah. I, I hope you do get some answers in, in, the, in the course of time as to why certain things didn't or weren't or could not be performed uh, in, in the progression of her diagnosis. But uh, it seems to me the system has certainly failed your aunt. Uh, and may she rest in peace. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Seven minutes to 11. John O'Donovan is on line two. Good morning, John. Morning, Nick. How are you? Very good. Nice to talk with you again. It's uh, it's it's been a while. Uh, the bishop is out yep. of touch with reality. You say we were talking yesterday about the Eucharistic procession being cancelled for the first time. Yep. Well, I know there's been cancellations with the pandemic, but this is the first time it could have went on and didn't go on. Well, when uh, Fenton Gavin came in to be the new bishop, Nick, the first thing he did was abolish the Corpus Christi uh, procession, right? Before any pandemic came in, and his reason was he said that the commercialization of Cork City Centre now on Sundays did not give reverence to the, the blessed sacrament going through the streets uh, plus the mass and down square. 
Well, he'd want to read up the history of it because actually going back 94 years ago, Mick, it was the business people of Cork after the Civil War because there was a, 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 it was a very raw at the time society. It was split down the middle. There was a lot of business there. And the city uh, business people at the time approached the said bishop at the time and asked him, would they consider bringing the blessed sacrament and have the mass in the grand parade because they felt it might be some ghost somewhere towards the healing process at the time. Such was the bitterness in the city at the time because it was a fierce rebel city, as you know. It was split down in the middle with the civil war and there was a lot of bad feeling on both sides. So that, that's the history lesson on that. Now, it's the first thing he did, as I said, was to abolish it. He consulted nobody, only the chosen few, as usual, because they never listened to the people anyway, just like the politicians, was to actually stop it completely and to use the commercialization of the city was wrong. Also, uh, this idea, like you mean about that, society has changed. I mean, the amount of people, that, that before he stopped this, before he came in, the, the Filipinos marching it, the African people marching it, because they're all Christians. Now, the numbers obviously weren't there like what they were there in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, make right? But at the same time, all the other festivals around Europe, as that other very good caller, the lady yesterday said, they're not stopping their possessions and their, and their beliefs. But the, the minute that this man came in, without consulting anyone again, as I said, except the chosen few, he decided that he was going to scrap it. Then they came up with the civic society, they'd come out of Pope's Key, and they'd march up Holgate Road and continue on with, with a ceremony in the cathedral, which is ridiculous. This, the, this blessed sacrament and the altar in the Grand Parade, it should never have been stopped. And Father Tom Hayes gave the impression yesterday, he said, that it, it will be back next year. Giving the impression to me that we'll be going through the streets again and we'll have the altar back. And that is not going to happen. Is it important to you, John, that it goes ahead again? It is indeed, because look, I'm sick and tired of things of our uh, traditions being lost here, like, I mean, and trampled and like, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, you go to other countries, I mean, it's not happening. Like, yeah, sure, but would, would, would you believe the business is open on Sunday in the city form any threat to the procession? Not at all whatsoever, like, I mean. Because they won't survive I mean, without opening on Sunday. And I don't they think they'd, even, I mean, think they'd even close out of respect of the procession for one day. Well, in fairness, no, like, I mean, I don't know, because it's like the last time they went through there, uh, in fairness to pennies, they closed their doors when the Blessed Sacrament was passing by in terms. And I actually went in and I said, as the manager after, well done, and he was delighted. Now, the point being, again, as I said, there's two sets of people, make not listening at the moment to the people. One of the politicians, the other is the bishop. You have a situation that you hand at the moment. There's a great priest, our Father Murphy, right? He's retiring. John, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it here very quickly because uh, time is against me for news. But uh, I do thank you for, for getting in touch and for... Uh, your conviction in the faith and, and for wanting the procession yeah, to come no back. Thanks for that. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. And John speaks on radio enough to know that I'm not being rude there. It's just that uh, time and tide, as they say, wait for no man. And I do like to be on time for news. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show And a very good morning at 7 and a half minutes almost past 11 on this Thursday morning Let's go to line 1 and to Richard O'Brien Hi Richard uh, Good morning, uh, thanks for uh, Good morning to the listeners and thanks for having me on You're more than welcome, Richard, you're a traveller That's correct, yeah And you're working on a report on the lack of traveller representation in churches What do you mean by that? Well, I suppose um, I started studying theology and philosophy in the Wyoming Institute in Dublin. It's a Jamaican college. It's affiliated with TU Dublin. 
Um, I did it at first because I wanted to know more about my faith. But then during my studies there, I started to reflect on what I was doing and how I could help the marginalised communities. And I suppose why I did this reflection is because the issue is close to heart. If you don't mind, Mick, would I be able to tell you a story just to kind of, you know, to, to, to give you an idea of what sure. I'm on about? Sure, please do. No problem. So Jan Scaldi of the Pioneer Institute told us a story about some travellers who had pulled in at the side of the road in Roscommon. While the travellers were staying in the town, they started to attend the local parish mass. When this happened, the upper class decided that they would attend the mass in a different nearby parish church until the travellers had moved away. He was nine years old at the time and he said his grandfather was a true Christian because he didn't leave, he stayed and welcomed the travellers. He said, when I recall this memory, it really hits home in what Gandhi once asked if he would convert to be a Catholic. Gandhi replied, it was very thought-provoking. He said, I will become a Christian tomorrow if I actually ever had met one that lived as one. Gandhi's answer got me thinking about what it meant to be a Christian. All my life, I've seen members of the travelling community, young and old, not being involved in the parish, which always stood out as a bit unusual to me as travellers are predominantly Catholic. My daughter then highlighted this issue again to me when she started asking about traveller involvement in the church. She couldn't understand, because she too is nine years old, how travellers weren't involved, even though she'd seen how strong and committed their faith was in their lives. I then started to ask travellers around the country the same questions. Were they involved or ever involved in the parish? They all had the same sad stories and answers. This prompted me to write to all the bishops in Ireland and the Vatican to see what the issues were and how they can be mended so that all parishes could strive together. I wrote many emails and letters highlighting the problem and the issues that our travellers face today in Irish society. I want to be clear that half my family is from the settled community and many of my friends today are from the settled community. They too found it strange how there was no travellers involved in the church considering their faith. And they pushed me forward with this project because it's the right thing to do. And as Martin Luther King would say, Mick, the time is always right to do what is right, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the end of the story. That's, that's, that's a good story. Uh, is it safe to say that travellers, as, even as an ethnic minority, but travellers in, in their entirety, uh, cling to the Catholic faith uh, more than other sections of society? Um, well, I, I wouldn't say that, Mick. If, if you're religious, you're religious. And, you know, if you practice your faith, you practice your faith. I, I wouldn't see no difference between the travelling community or the settled community. What I would see is maybe that the travelling community was religious people that didn't get the same opportunities as their brothers and sisters in the settled community. And I suppose we've tried changing the laws about racism, but the fact is you can't legislate people's hearts. But through our religion and churches, we can change people's hearts and perceptions of travellers. No better place to start, Mick. 95% of churches met up with lay people, some who are true Christians, very welcome. Mm. I mean, I, I'm also involved in many groups here throughout Kerry, and uh, I've no doubt that they'll continue to support me nationally, not just in Cork and Kerry, to get this off the ground. Because, um, you know, traveller faith is important to them, and... I, I suppose you, I want to send a message to all the priests and Cork if they're listening there today to reach a handout in friendship to the traveling community and welcome them in and ask them do they want to do beyond the parish council? Do they want to be a minister of the world, minister of the Eucharist? Offer that hand of friendship. If they say no, no harm done, at least they'll know they were valued. 
And you, all they have to say, look, you can do it as good as everybody else if you want to, you know. Mm. Now, you, you, you mentioned upper class people, so they're your words, not mine. I'm not casting aspersions on, on, on oh. class distinctions there. You said upper class people moved to a different church to observe their faith until the travellers moved on. Uh, if you're not accept, uh, prepared to accept a Catholic worshipper as a Catholic wor- worshipper, isn't that the ultimate form of snobbery? And, and, and goes against all the Catholic Church might teach? Oh, of course it does. And I think that's what the, the lecture of uh, John Scanley himself, I suppose, you know, that's what he was emphasizing. And I suppose it, 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 what it does too, it, you know, it shows that racism did exist within inside uh, people going to the church because obviously the travelers had seen the settled community leaving in front of them. And I suppose travelers have uh, developed now uh, their own particular way of practicing the faith because now they go to Holy Wells and uh, they go on a lot of pilgrimages abroad. You probably see that highlighted in the media an awful lot. But the fact is, like, it's a shame that someone uh, doesn't feel welcome five minutes down the road to say a prayer and they have to go to the other side of the world, you know. I was speaking with TVG there in the meeting recently. We had a listening meeting for the side and all the bishops. And, you know, I, I, I felt sorry for him. And I said, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be fair for me just to start this in Kerry and forget about all the rest of the travellers. Because i seen in Cork that there was true faith there and they were sad. And, you know, they, they want to be welcomed as well. And I, I would ask the Bishop Fintan Gavin today to reach out to the people of Cork as well and offer his hand in friendship as well and listen to them and work with them because they will work with them. And um, also it's very important as a society that we educate our children on racism. The power of words which can cause a serious mental health issue, as Paul Francis often says, the only time we should ever look down on someone is to pick them up. Mm. I heard a report on National Radio this morning, uh, which you you might take exception to, but apparently one in five male adult travellers have been arrested in the last four years. You know, can you blame the non-travelling public for maybe being a little wary of the travelling community? Well, Jerry, what I would say, you have bad and good in every community. It's Mick. (laughs) I've been been called Neil, but never Jerry. Sorry, I'm Mick. But, um, you know, like Mary Madeline, the first one without saying pick up the stone and throw it. You know, no community is perfect. And one in five, yes, that may be the case. But look at the issues behind that. Travellers, 89% of travellers don't go on to further education. Why is that? Some travellers are in schools and they don't have their full books. They're handed printed copies of that book. So, like, we're not providing them with the basic necessities that they need. So if we educate our people they will go further. I come from a well-educated family. One of my sisters is doing her PhD, another doing her master's. If travellers get the chance, mate, they'll mm. do it. And they will be in crime, like any other minority. Look at America. Of course that's going to be there when they don't have the opportunities. Our suicide rate is seven times higher than the, than the average public. And, uh, and, and your life expectancy is lower. Of course, you're, you're, yeah, that's correct, yeah. Okay, now, but you're working, the, the essence of this uh, call and the conversation is that you're working with the Bishop and Kerry on a pilot project to get more members of the community involved in the church, but you're saying that Cork still hasn't come around to it. No, I don't think so, and I don't think it's been hard. I think maybe uh, Bishop Fenton maybe thought it was unique to Kerry and that Cork was fine, but after the meeting that I had with TVG, I suppose I, I would tell him today on the radio, you know, he, he has issues there, and he needs to meet with the people of Cork. He needs to stand up and be a leader 
that's what it's a part to being a bishop is and speak mm. for these people and try to work with them. Do you know what canon law causes a lot of marginalisation in our church mate. And the fact is, we've seen on RT there recently that a lot of groups cannot get involved in the church because of canon law. But there's no canon law stopping travellers from participating in the church. If anything, it promotes them as baptised Catholics to be participating regularly in the mass. So, so what you're really saying is that tra- travellers do have an empathy with the church. They want to get involved more in the church. They might, might feel unwelcome in the church, be that from the church itself or from the church going public. Uh, and that's what you're advocating, that the bishops reach out and welcome them in. I have your letter here from the Irish Episcopal Conference. Uh, do you want me to read it out? Do, yeah, it's, do, of course. To me, to me, it's like getting a letter from a TD, but there you go. Uh, yeah, dear Richard, thank you for your communications with the Catholic Communications Office and the Bishop's Council for Justice and Peace and for your letter of the 4th of December 2021 to Archbishop Eamon Martin, pres- President of the Irish Episcopal Conference. I wish to assure you that your letter regarding the inclusion of members of the travelling community in the pastoral life of the Church was circulated to all the bishops at the March 2022 General Meeting of the Irish Bishops' Conference. The letter was commended to their attention to help encourage pastoral outreach at local level. The important issues which you've raised will also help to inform the bishops in ongoing discussions on how we can engage with all groups who may feel marginalised in society and the church, especially as we continue along the synodal pathway in the Irish church. With every good wish and blessing, yours sincerely, Joseph McGuinness, Monsignor, Executive Secretary of the Irish Episcopal Conference. Happy with the letter or is it uh, standard? Thank thank you and goodbye. I think it was um, genuinely shared. Um, Peter McFurry wrote me a very touching letter to provide to that conference that was shared with him. And Peter McFurry wrote down his um, experience about how he's seen travellers being treated in churches. And um, I, I know that they shared that letter as well. So I think there is support here from the clergy. I suppose I'm a theologian myself. And, you know, it'd be a shame for me to be educated in my faith and to watch my people being excluded. I think Cork and Kerry now should really work together on this. Um, it'd be an awful shame if Cork was left behind. The big cover community up there, I know some of them, I know they're very religious, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that they will work with the parish. Because, you know, they, they, this has been going on too long, and we live in a different age now, and travellers should have the same opportunities as everybody else. And our church should be the first place to start that church. All right. Well, well done in your efforts, Richard O'Brien from Killarney. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks. For All the best. Appreciate Cheers. Bye bye. Uh, Jay is on WhatsApp. Let's go to the WhatsApp line. Good morning to you, Jay. Oh, he's gone, is he? Okay. Uh, okay. We'll take a break and come back with the uh, Neil Prendeville show in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And Neil is on a well-deserved break until Monday fortnight when he'll be back uh, with you again. Let's go now to our WhatsApp line and uh, speak to Jay. Good morning, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Very good. This is a clearer WhatsApp line than we had into Qatar earlier on. Uh, you want to comment about the Chemical Brothers and their cancelled concert tonight? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's a horrible situation for anyone who books hotels or, you know, traveling so on. But I think Ireland's going to have to get used to this, really. Um, travel travel costs, uh, petrol prices, everything, moving gear around for a concert that big. 
at the end of the day, if you get a last minute offer to stay, you know, because they've got the channel tunnel over there, they can, it's cheaper, it's handier. At the end of the day, if you get a last minute offer, I mean, it's going to save you money. You're probably getting bigger money from Glastonbury than you are from, from Cork anyway. Was Glastonbury a last minute uh, offer for them? Uh, well, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been offered after they got Cork, I'd imagine. Oh, no, the Cork would have been in, in training and planning for a long, long time. Do you think it might have anything to do with ticket sales? Uh, yeah, I mean, ticket sales as well. I mean, prices go, prices are going up. I mean, not I'm not sure how much, how many um, tickets were sold in Cork, but um, I mean, I know so many people that were on Facebook looking forward to going to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of disappointed people on Facebook last night. As you say, a lot of them traveling, a lot of them with hotel rooms booked that they can't cancel, and a lot of them paying in, inordinately high prices for those hotel rooms. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> there's, I don't, I don't think there's going to be much comeback from that either, is there? No, they hardly will. Um, but if if they said illness in the band or illness in the crew, you you would have said something. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, they then came out with COVID in the band and crew. Uh, in, in this sense, uh, and we'll have to wait and see, how can they show up at Glastonbury? Well, that's it. I mean, you know, if it, if it was legit, fair enough, but there's no way you could have COVID in your band and show up at a festival. That just wouldn't be allowed, mm. you know? Yeah. You, you'd probably get arrested for that. Okay, we'll, we'll have to some way get to the bottom of it. We've asked, uh, or we're trying to get in touch with MCD for a statement. Uh, I doubt if that will be forthcoming because the band have put forward uh, their own statement. But you reckon it's better books at Glastonbury, easier to get to with equipment, thanks to the Channel Tunnel, and uh, that Cork uh, just became the fall guy, maybe? Pretty much. It's unfortunate. It really is. Um, would have brought a lot of money to the city for the night or probably mm-hmm. for the weekend. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, Cork is basically the fall guy. Yeah. All right. Thanks a million for the call, Jay. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Uh, now then, uh, back to a story yesterday, and we were, we were talking to Shannon. This is the most sus phone call I've ever heard on air. Good morning, Mick. For goodness sake, man, tell that woman the majority of people in this country currently have mental health issues. But still, we get up and we go to work days and nights to keep a roof over our heads and provide for our families. I'm completely fed up of hearing these over-exaggerated sob stories. We all have burdens to carry, and don't tell me her father doesn't have any room for them. That's nonsense. And I'm assuming if you read this out, the snakes, snitches, and curtain twitchers will take the high moral ground as usual. No matter what way we slice it, dice it, or chop it up, life is hard, life is tough, and uh, we must get on with it. Suck it up. Regardless, uh, loving the show. No name on that one. By the way, uh, the lady who had her car stolen and the uh, very special barrel lock uh, could not be found. Uh, Conines and Mahan Point, and I should have mentioned this yesterday because we always recognise uh, kindness from listeners and businesses on the Neil Prendival show. So fair play and hats off to Conines in Man Point. They have been in touch and they will sort Shannon with the lock on her Nissan Micra. Nissan March, I beg your pardon. Uh, on the HSE, uh, Mick, uh, when you speak in revered tones about Tony Holohan, I don't think I did, uh, please remember he fecked up the cervical fiasco. Uh, can you kindly thank uh, Tom McCarthy uh, from, from New York, uh, for two tickets that I won for my niece last week. She is off to see Harry Styles in Dublin today. That was last night, of course, and that is uh, from Pat. Tom McCarthy, well connected with the music scene here in Ireland. Indeed, it's Tom, uh, through Tom, and I was hooked up with uh, Rod Stewart to take Rod Stewart out for a, 
a half a day around Cork Harbour on the boat. Uh, now, in Corpus Christi, uh, which has uh, raised quite a few texts, there's no interest in it anymore, and it should be scrapped anyway, says John. Uh, for Father uh, Tom Hayes, it was hardly a big undertaking. It was moved in 2017 from the city centre to go up to St. Mary's to the cathedral. That's a fairly easy procession to complete. Uh, what does that tell you about the Catholic Church claiming to be God's representatives on earth? They're not great shepherds, are they? Says another texture. And that lady is right. The new bishop is invisible. Uh, when my mum was in hospital, says another texture, Bishop Buckley called every day just to bless her. My mum loved his call as such a holy person, but has passed away since. If Bishop Buckley is listening, I want to thank him so much. I'm not a church goer, uh, and so... Uh, bore, and, and I'm so boring I need to get with the times I don't know why you say that about yourself but you want to thank Bishop Buckley anyway a couple of more when I came to Cork nearly 40 years ago I was walking down Patrick Street carrying the Irish Times when a man came up to me and said I suppose you're too grand to read the examiner said Anne from Black Rock uh, one final one on Covid pregnancy uh, I, I recently saw the CMO is talking about scaling back Covid testing it would be great to talk rules uh, still in place for women about to give birth. Hospitals still aren't allowing partners into hospitals until the woman is four, uh, the woman is four centimetres dilated, uh, but yet they can visit from 7am to 11pm. It makes no sense whatsoever. They also can only attend two appointments throughout the whole pregnancy. Uh, don't and can't want to talk, uh, I can't and don't want to talk on air about it as I'm due very soon, but I just wanted to see if anyone else was sending this in uh, as it, as uh, I'd love if it was up for discussion and awareness. So still restrictions about the partners going into women about to give birth. Hospitals apparently not allowing partners into hospitals uh, for the birth until the woman is four centimetres dilated. Uh, but yet they can visit from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. The virus is smart, you see. It knows. We won't even go down that road. Let's go back to our phone lines in line one. Jack O'Connell. Good morning, Jack. Hi, how are things? Very good. You're taking on a long drive, are you? We are, we are indeed. It's been a, a long time coming there. Um, there's uh, three of us, three big lads driving a 22-year-old Micra to Georgia. Oh, I saw this online, actually, yeah. Yeah. So, young, young, uh, guys, yeah young guys in a cheap car. Uh, you didn't pay too much for it, I believe. 1500 or something, was it? Uh, no, I actually got this for 200 euros. <laughs> 200? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an old... One owner, Nissan Micra, it had 48,000 miles, 200 euros uh, when, when they were a bit cheaper at the time. Um, the original aim was to, to drive it the whole way to Mongolia as part of the Mongol rally, but obviously with uh, COVID and obviously the, the Russian issue at the moment, there's some borders shut, so the new finish line is going to be Georgia, um, and we're raising money for the Marymount Hospice and Irish Cancer Society as well. Oh, two very worthy causes. You're heading off in three weeks. Um, uh, and you're going to be called not buds, but uh, team three best spuds. <laughs> yeah, so we've named the team team three best spuds. Um, so it's kind of like on Instagram and Facebook and kind of go fund me and stuff like that at the moment. So um, I'm from two of us are from a farming background, and uh, one of the lads is a production manager in uh, Slaney Farm uh, Produce up in Wexford. So it just kind of seemed like the easy, natural one to go for three best spots and particularly to have the Irish team on it as well, I suppose. And can people support this worthy effort for those two fine charities? Yeah, definitely. So look, if you want to go on to GoFundMe, um, you can just type in three best spots and you should find us there or else on Instagram and Facebook, uh, team three best spots. And we have a link to the GoFundMe on that as well. Okay. 
Almost sounds like a great name for a restaurant, doesn't it? <laughs> have your chips Limited here. options on the you menu, I imagine, but yeah. Chips or french fries, you're going to have your sweet potato and maybe your couple of roasties <laughs> or something. Uh, so That's what's it, it going to be yeah. like in, a, in what's essentially a tiny car uh, carrying three people, three adults and three adults' <laughs> luggage? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you, if, on the, if anyone wants to check out the Instagram, you can see the car at the moment. So we've kind of raised the suspension slightly. We put a snorkel on it because, you know, we don't want to just use motorways. We want to kind of go off-road and go kind of back roads and see the countries that we're going through as well. Tell, tell um, me about the snorkel. I, what exactly do you mean? I thought a snorkel would only work on a so, diesel engine. Uh, well, either or. So, like, it's, if you were to drive into water so the engine doesn't suck in any uh, water... Um, so it's just taking the air from above the water line as yeah. well so it, it doesn't uh, get locked um, and thankfully Hose Tech and Little Island actually kind of donated some good uh, pipe work to us for that and uh, we fitted it and tested it and we drove the car up to about windscreen level in the um, at the, the ferry crossing there between Passage and Cove as well you know people thought we were a bit crazy but you know we were, we were there as all control just to make sure it still worked so, uh, so, so that uh, that was a good experience, all the same. Okay, now I, I suppose the override, the elephant in the room here. This is a twenty-two-year-old mm-hmm. car. H- how are you sure yeah. it's going to make it? It's an Nissan Micra. It definitely will make it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're we're putting a lot of trust in the in the brand of the Micra. You know, it's either between that or a Starless, um, and they're fairly simple mechanically anyway as well. So, and uh, kind of parts, and they're they're relatively easy to work on. I suppose as you go across different countries. Okay, uh, so this is a 22-year-old micro. You're going to take it across mountains, rivers, and dozens of countries on the adventure of yeah. a lifetime. And fair play to you doing it while you're it. young. And you're going to be raising yeah. money for three charities, actually, not two. Uh, the Irish Cancer Society, Marymount Hospice, and the Cool Earth yeah. Project. Um, now, the, it, yeah. you want to say anything about any, either of the charities? Yeah, so I suppose, look, obviously, you know, like, so the Cool Earth Project, it's actually changed to Ukraine crisis appeal at the moment because that's with um, the adventurists who run this rally. You, uh, as a part of the entry, we have to raise 500 um, euros for that and then we can raise anything extra for the charities we wanted. Um, so obviously, like, I think, you know, in Cork in particular, Marymount is a, a great facility. Um, you know, it touches a lot of lives. It's a great charity, so I think it's always a worthy cause as well. And hand-in-hand uh, hand with the Irish Cancer Society as well, you know, uh, okay. between the three of us having kind of experiences with them, so they're always a worthy cause to, okay. to raise a bit of money for. And the rules are very simple here, and, and this would be, and this would attract me as well if I was of your age, okay? The rules are very <laughs> simple. Number one, the chosen car must be small and not suitable for the journey ahead yeah. and the older the better exactly. that's brilliant I think that's great uh, yeah. number two you're completely on your own there's no backup mm-hmm. there's no bailouts no nothing just yourselves yeah and number three charity uh, you're aiming to raise as much as you can for the three amazing charities These, th- those yeah. are wacky but lovely rules yeah that's it I like, and it has to be kind of like the, the one litre engine as well just to I suppose you know it would be too easy if it was comfortable um, I, uh, so it will be it'll be enjoyable you know we'll be um, there's a road in, a road in Turkey called D915 apparently it's um, the second most dangerous road in the world it's nicknamed Death Road but it's drivable there's no problem there so we'll uh, have a bit of fun on that um, and t- taking it up kind of mountain ranges as well and stuff you know we've, I couldn't even chance pronouncing the name of some of these places um, but there's an amazing kind of mountaintop um Size between Macedonia and the Greek border as well. So, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully 
documented quite well to see some kind of crazy places along the way as well that are just kind of not usual. Okay, I'm going to put you in a spot here now. Who is Jeremy Clarkson? Who is James May? And which one of you is Richard Hammond? <laughs> um, oh, it depends now. I would say, I'd like to say I'm a bit of all three of them. Um, <laughs> but I would say Tommy might be the Richard Hammond side of things. I'd probably call it, put myself as Jeremy and then MJ would be the uh, James Mason things I would say. Now I've got you in trouble haven't I? Uh, tell, <laughs> yeah. tell me about the location for your official launch party finally uh, Jack. Yeah so uh, as we drive across we have to go to the official launch party is an abandoned uh, Soviet missile silo just kind of outside of Prague Oh yeah, um, so as it would be, be there on the, <laughs> Yeah standard like yeah so we have to be there for the 16th of July um, so in the meantime, we'll kind of get across Europe, see some of the historic sites. We're going to attempt to get the Micra onto the Nürburgring, you know, put it in there with the rest of uh, the supercars, of course, yep. and uh, just see how things go. Yeah. Don't get caught in the Paris traffic anyway, whatever you do. So you're leaving Wexford <laughs> yeah. on the 11th of July, uh, and it's team uh, three best spuds, and it's at yep. team underscore three best spuds on Instagram and Facebook. Every success, Jack O'Connell. Well done and come home safe. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. And a very good morning again from the Neil Prendeville Show. Doucha Boy, an anthology of Cork's slang, is uh, an old book, 2004, by Morty McCarthy, uh, one-time uh, drummer. Uh, with uh, the Sultans, wasn't it? Sultans of Ping. The uh, brazen wallop, he says, is a saucy person. What we're looking for, we're going to give away three of these books uh, to callers now or texters. Uh, if you text us in, of course, we'll have your number and we'll ring it back and get you the, the book out to you. Please get in touch with your favourite Cork slang. Uh, we have some we're going to give away to uh, texters. Uh, and uh, hi, here's, here's a text. Hi, I'm from Poland. And I'm living in the Rebel County for the last 19 years. Uh, it was new to me, but when I was pregnant with my daughter, I heard that I was boxed. Another great one for Cork slang is pure, decent boy. Uh, so well done. Funny Cork sayings with another texture. Do you hear him? It's all the one. I'm only going down lang. Not a mind her. The face on her. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish. I think that's uh, maybe outside of Cork though. Uh, go on, so me love. See you later. Hang on a minute, hang on a second, a minute there now. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, if he was chocolate, he'd ate himself. Uh, not a mind him, the chick or her. Are you for real? Who do you, t- who do you think you are? I just can't, can't get the, the header on some of this stuff. Stop, you're freaking me out. I'm warning you. Lock, stock and barrels is he to me, not a minder. The blind leading the blind is another one. Uh, we're getting lots of texts on this one. Uh, he should f- give his face a joyride, which means uh, he should smile. Um, should God help us or should God love him? That's a huge one in Cork, actually. Uh, he passed away. Should God love him? Um, on it like a car bonnet is meant to mean uh, I'll do it straight away. I will in me hole. That's one I use a lot, says Mal. Uh, and hi, Mick. Uh, I can't believe that Neil Amon boy doesn't know the national anthem. He must have been on the lang the day they were learning it. That's obviously from uh, a couple of days ago. Right then, uh, let's go to line two and to Margaret. Uh, staying on the uh, traveller situation and on travellers and how they are treated by the church. Hi, Margaret. Hi, good morning to you. Now, how are travellers treated by the church in your eyes? 
Well, I'm 60 years of age and I'm a member of Travelling Community. I'm from Killarney all my life. And when my children were growing up, there was never any opportunity or the church never came forward and asked them if they wanted to get involved. But that didn't stop us from going to church. But I feel myself, my appearance alone when I walk into the church, uh, people can identify me straight away and know that I'm a traveller. And I had one instance there with the COVID. I had my mask on and I attended the church and a person actually got up off the seat and moved from me. And I felt, I just, it was very embarrassing. And I felt, why was I not allowed to come into the church? They were wearing a mask. I was keeping the rules. But as I say, I was listening to Richard there, and if there was someone around the time my children was young for Richard, young travelling children are not being involved in the church, and there is a lot of racism in a lot of different areas, which the travelling community, and I, it, I have very good friends in settled community, I have great neighbours, and people that I worked with, but there is an awful lot of work to be done uh, when it comes to being involved with the church. Mm-hmm. Now, as I did mention to Richard, uh, the, the travellers cling to the Catholic faith more than other uh, elements of society, shall we say. The observance by the travellers of the sacraments, for instance, uh, and sometimes it can be maybe an ostentatious show of fashion or of wealth, uh, but they do, the travelling community, observe uh, baptisms, communions, confirmations, uh, w- weddings with fervour, really, and, and with joy. Would, would you agree with that? Well, yes. Well, I, w- I would have nothing got to do with well for me, to be honest with you. Uh, as I said, I'm old school. Since I, was, uh, since I was young, I'd always attend Mass. And as I said, I always didn't. When my children were young, they'd always come to Holy Wells with me. It has nothing got to do with wealth, but travellers have this strong, strong faith, and so has the member of the community. I'm not putting travellers above settled community. As I said to you, there is a lot of good friends that I work with in the town here, members of settled community, and I would honestly say, if you have faith, you have faith, regardless of what minority you are or where you come from. Okay. Uh, now, I'm only talking about a small element of the travelling community here, but if they are clinging to the Catholic faith, how can that be reconciled uh, with that element that, you know, do the catching people, if you like, uh, you know, doing the roofs and the tarmac and that, and, and the, the bad reputation it generates, perhaps unfairly, for the rest of the travelling community. Is there work to be done there? Well, it is, because there's a lot of work to be done there, because what I find is that if one traveller does something, everyone is painted with one brush. But if that was done within the member central community, that wouldn't be my view. I wouldn't paint them all with the one yeah, brush. There needs be... a lot of work to be done there. Yes, there needs a lot of work to be done and a lot of research. Because if one person goes out and does something, you can't just turn around and pick a stone and throw it to them and say they're the same. So I think there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of issues and a lot of background into that. Okay, if, some, if a traveller goes out and assaults someone, all travellers, regardless of where you live, they're all cast the same. But would that be with the central community? No, I haven't seen that. Okay. Now, you say you, you have faith, you visit Holy Wells. Is that here or abroad? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't, not abroad. I'm not okay. one for travelling. I would go to Turbotville in Mill Street, St. John's Church in Mill Street, or I would go to St. Michael's Church in Tree. I would be a regular visitor to St. Mary's Cathedral here in Killarney and a regular visitor to Friary Church. So can I ask you, that person that moved away from you when you went to church, to exercise your faith and exercise your right to practice your faith in a Catholic church. That person who moved away from you, 
What did you think of them? Because to me, they're not observing the true principles of Catholicism or of Christianity. Well, they're not. They're not. I'll tell you what I've done. I left them move away and I, my intention when I went in there was for my faith and I kneeled and I prayed and I just overlooked it. And anyone like that, anyone that feels that they don't want to be around me. I mean, the church is for everyone. I leave them in the Lord's hands. I leave the Lord deal with them. We've only all one. We've one God and one judge that'll judge us all. But you have a lot of people now on every side and in every culture. You have a lot of people that will go into the church and they will kneel and they will pray, but they'll only do it for their own part. I mean, when you go into a church, you're praying and you don't pick a stone in a throat if there's someone sitting next to you, regardless of their culture, their color or whatever. I would not get up and leave the chair. I went in there to make my peace with God. So, I mean, that person, all I can say, you know, my opinion of that was, I, I kind of um, would overcome things like that where I have through a lot of racism in my life. Yes, but sure, surely that prejudice, that deep down prejudice that you uh, as a community of travelers can continue to experience, it, it must hurt. I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying all of it, is is without blame because of that minority that may be giving you a bad name. But for for you as as, as a as a traveller woman, to be shunned like that in a place of God must really hurt. It it does hurt. It does hurt. And as I said, there is a lot of issues there. But as I said, pride. One thing I've never. I've been rejected all my life as a member of traveling community with most settled community, a lot of settled community I am very close to. But as my mother taught me, she'd say, listen, if a person don't accept you, you rise above it. You rise above that and you don't make it an issue. It's not an issue for me. If, uh, say, if there was some other traveler, maybe they were sitting there and didn't agree with it. You see, people, I think, intend to expect traveling people to revoke and to answer back or maybe find it abusive. But as I said, at 60 years of age, I have learned to rise above these things. And I went into the house of God and I went in to pray. I didn't go to, especially to sit by that person, but it was very hurtful. It was and very degrading. Mm. And uh, on the other side of things, of course, uh, certain elements of the traveling community have a bad rep, a bad reputation when it comes to alcohol and fighting. Uh, if that snub was given to, let's say... Uh, a male, and maybe not just, I'm not just saying exclusively male, even a female, but to a member of the traveling community who had a few drinks in, it's the, do you think they're more likely to rise to the occasion and, 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 and react aggressively? No, I don't think so, because as far as alcohol is concerned, I've seen it here in the town that we live in. <laughs> My God, you could mop the streets by night, and I'm, that's not down to And that's not the travelers. And that's the travelers would know. It's not down to travelers. It's well, it would be a lot of people that would be coming into the town. You know, Killarney is a tourist town, but a lot of travelers, I think, have learned to revoke and not, not to. You know, if you are who you are, you know who you are, and you know where you came from. I would not revoke a person. I taught my children that, and I have five adult children, and they've been very successful in life. But if a person doesn't accept me for who I am, I'm not the one with the problem. They're the one with the problem. That's my opinion in that. Yes, and uh, what's the ethos of being a traveller? Is it kind of born a traveller, always a traveller? That's another religion you cling to. Well, uh, well, being a, tra being a member of traveling community and going back 60 years ago, as I said, church has always been a highlight for us and our culture is our culture. A lot of people don't understand always, but it's just you have to be born a traveler to know what a traveler is. But I mean, we have to eat, sleep and 
drink like everyone else. We're normal people. We keep our houses tidy. I've, I've been called a knacker and I've come all these names. And I mean, I have risen above them. I have risen above them. I, my mother taught me that she said, listen, if they don't accept you for who you are, Margaret, yeah. she said, you'll be proud of who you are and accept yourself. I, I, and she said, listen, just Sorry? I, I never mentioned that word when, when talking to a traveller. You mentioned it there. Isn't that the worst thing you can call a traveller? Well, I'll tell you now, I've been called the Dr. Smelly Necker, and I've been... Uh, going back years ago, it was Tinker Taylor. And I remember I was only a child, and I didn't understand what it was, and I ran into my mother. And this word, Tinker, to me, was a very... I, I can't explain how I felt about it. It made me feel so degraded. And I remember running to my mother and she was standing at the sink and I ran over to her and she said, what are you crying for? And I said, I was out playing with friends to remember the community. And I said, when I got too good, at it, we were playing a game hopscotch and one of them turned around and said to me, you go, you smelly tinker. So of course I was young and I didn't understand. So I went crying and I went into my mother and she sat me down and she said, listen, as you get older, she said, you'll grow into your body and you'll know who you are. And if it's within, it's within, she said. So it is very degrading, and yeah. now I was only a child, I was only 10 years at, at that time, but it is, but I don't, we, society hasn't come much further since then. No, it hasn't, I, I was there just going to say, and, and, and the fact that you're able to rise above it, Margaret, uh, I think is, is, is down to some very solid and capable parenting on your mum's behalf. That's right. It is, uh, God rest my mother, and my own children has risen above that. And I thought my children came back from school when they were young and they said, Mommy, I was called this and that. And I said, listen, you do not, you do not revoke back. I said, listen, you know who you are. You'll be proud of who you are. If they have the problem, they're unhappy with themselves. It's not you. So all my children, as I said to you, my three daughters, my two sons, have become very successful. Very, they've done their leave and thirst and they went on. And they're very high up, but I think, it's all, I think it all comes down to parenting and as being called a knacker, as my mother always said to me, listen, she said, a child, do not come out and repeat that. It's all what comes from within the home. What yes, it comes from their own parenting as well. Uh, just a text came in, right. came in there to us, Margaret. Just by text here. Uh, hi, I was listening to Richard O'Brien speak. What a powerful interview it was. Travellers are not uniform people like everyone else in society. They all have different types of people, good and bad. We should all not be painted with the one brush. To exclude the traveller children from religious services is actually morally wrong. You spoke with passion, Richard, and a genuine concern for the marginalised. We, the religious community in Cork, should get behind this project. What a beautiful church we would all uh, have to welcome people into. That's my text there, agreeing with Richard. I think you'd agree there, Margaret, as well, would you? I do, I agree with that. And I, I also agree with Richard when his child turned around. And of course that child felt it in our class when there was maybe uh, preparing for communion or whatever. That child felt she was harassed to attend in the services where the members of the community, our friends, were asked, so the child felt left out. So that's why she turned to Richard next and that. Yeah. That child is inquisitive at that age. She's feeling left out. Margaret, it's been lovely talking to you. You could you could talk for hours about your feelings and and, and the way the traveller community are, are treated. Uh, you're very well spoken. You've raised a fine family, uh, and I think you must feel very proud. We've shown online. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you very much Thanks. for having me on. Thank All you. the best. Uh, not a problem. Very quickly, let's get to Sean on line five. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hi. Neil. It's Mick. You, you're saying travellers are the real old Irish people, like the American Indians, hunted off their land. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. I, I don't. I don't uh, want to 
spent too long on, but I, when I heard the program, I said, I mean, I'm in my late 70s, and I can remember all these people, uh, we call them wagon trains on the, on the roads years and years ago. But like, they're the real old Irish people. You look at all their names, and they all came from, most of them, from the west of Ireland. And they're hunted and shoved off of their, out of their homes, their lands, uh, hundreds of years ago. They were shoved onto the roads, nowhere to go. You know, and that's basically what, I'm, what I want to say. Like, you know, that's, okay, we all have problems. Settle people, everybody, ups and downs in our lives. But, like, uh, these people, they were shoved off their lands hundreds of years ago, shoved onto the roads, nowhere to go, uh, under the, every kind of conditions, rain, hail and snow. And, and built their proud tradition of, of, of being a travelling community from that. What's that? And built their own tradition from that, I'm saying. What's that again? I said they built their own tradition of being a travelling community from being pushed out onto the roads. Of course they did, yeah. But like, you know, when they, um, when they were shoved onto the road, they, they came, everybody could see them on the road. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They, they became, what we, I'm not, I'm not, they became a nuisance to people, settled people that didn't understand the history of the traveller. They call them travellers, but they were the real old Irish stock. But the, the old Irish travellers would be uh, knife smiths, or what would you call knife sharpeners, or handymen and that kind of thing. Hensmiths. I, I remember, as I said, years and years ago, when, when, when there was a travel down around the country area, there'd be, there'd be hordes of them. There'd be 10 and 12 uh, there on the round covered wagons on the roads. They'd have horses, goats, They'd be nearly self-sufficient and get called into every house. They'd have selling lino. You know, they'd be doing everything. As I said, they were tinsmiths. They were, they're selling everything. But I, I just come back to what I'm, what I'm saying. Like they're, the younger generation, I don't understand where these people came from. They're, as I said, they're the real old Irish people that that were to not not their fault. Were shoved off their lands principally the in Connacht. All right, Sean, thank you very much and good morning to you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, bye-bye. We'll take a final call from Mike Donovan. Hi, Mike, how are you? Hi, Mike, how are you going? Good, and yourself? I'm very good, very good, very good. I was listening to the show there this morning in relation to Cox Lang and that, you know? Yeah. I just have a quick question to you there on that. What's the, the most famous uh, or the most popular name in Cork, do you know? Oh, I don't know, is it Philly? Why did you say that? I don't know. Because they all say, come here to me, boy. Come, uh, to me. come here to me, boy. <laughs> Timmy is the one, yeah? T- Timmy, come here to me, boy. Have you any other ones before we go? I, okay, no, what, no, that's, what, that's, what, that's about all I can manage for today. What, what, if I was, what if I was to say to you, I'll give you down the banks? What would that mean? I'll give him down the banks when I catch him. That means I'll give him a, a, a right to him. The, yeah. the paper was, was what? The echo. Yeah, or the examiner. Uh, do you remember the phrase, a dag and a yank? Dagenham Yank was was uh, somebody who worked in Fords, was it? Worked in Fords and Dagenham in East London and in came Dagenham, home, yeah. uh, and yeah. came home and uh, splashing the money around the pubs and all of that. Am I not that old? Yeah, I no. Okay. There's there's another one which is B U T T Y, right? And uh, it's nothing to do with a chip butty or a jam butty. Do you know what butty means? Butty, 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 butty. 
It's a variation in the pronunciation of the word buddy. Uh, this is me buddy, Damien. Oh, me butty. Me butty, bye. A lot of people call, uh, in Cork called Kinsale, Kingsale as well. Put the Kingsale. G into it. I think that's the old yeah. the old pronunciation from uh, from way back when. Um, All the Norries call it Kingsale. Kingsale, yeah. The Sorries call it Kingsale. That's right. call it Kingsale. And uh, uh, just to recognise the day and the evening we have in it, Bonner. Bonfire night, boy. Bonfire. Bonfire I was born on Bonfire's night. Were you? Happy birthday. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Donovan, thanks very much. I was born on Bonfire's night. I won't say where that saying came from, and I don't mean to be in any way disrespectful to your last <laughs> No bother. All right, Mike, thanks a million. Take care, Mike. Take Cheers. care. Have a good week. Thanks, bye bye. The, uh, the show today was produced by uh, Kevin Galvin, by Seamus Whelan, and by Claire O'Connor. Take care if you have loved ones around bonfires this evening. And I'll talk to you on the Neil Prandevich show after 9 o'clock news in the morning. This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.